You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer, two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. I think it's going to sound very much like we're in the same room, so... Because <laughs> we are! Because <laughs> we are! And we're drinking champagne, so you might get more of a rich experience as it descends into chaos. Yeah, we might forget a bit more what we're doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, cheers. Cheers to cheers. us. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> so, this one's Aliens. Isn't it, Jackie Farmer? Sure is, Elite Louise Alt. <clears throat> <laughs> She's drunk already, folks. Sure is, Louise Oliver. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Um, I'm really excited. I feel like I know this film better than I know Alien, and it's a bit more of a fun film. It is, yeah, more action-packed. Mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody on Messages yesterday, and they described it as Alien is a better film and Aliens is the greater film, which I thought was just very well put because it doesn't put either film down. There's nothing wrong with either film. They're just really different. Mm-hmm. And I think from I think Alien is like more arty and more academically good. Yes. Aliens has more tropes. Arguably, it invents the tropes. Yeah. But it's it's more of a fun film. But it is much more satisfying. Yeah. Alien is film studies. Aliens is popcorn. Yes. And it also watch it through my rewatch that I did this morning. I actually realised that Aliens, I think from a dating perspective, is one of the most attractive favourite films somebody can have. As a cis woman who goes out with men, if a man... She she says with a hint of exhaustion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's just something, there's a maturity, but it's not wank. Mm Mm-hmm. And the women... Actually, I'm gonna. I'm actually going to say female characters in this. I don't usually like the word female, but I'm including the alien queen. Mm-hmm. But, well, yeah, the women in this film are excellent, but so are the men. Yep. With a couple of exceptions, but I think that you don't like the people that you shouldn't like in this film. Um, so there is toxic masculinity, but it's not really rewarded. Yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, that's all you need, but it's a green flag. Mm-hmm. I think actually um, the d- aliens discussion has featured in every dating experience I've ever had quite early on. So it, it is neither a green flag or a red flag in my mm. <laughs> in my case because some of those worked out well, some of them didn't. Yes, but it okay. is a common conversation I have had um, in terms of gauging similar tastes. Yeah, I have said before that aliens is my favorite set of movies. Yeah, um, I love the franchise, but this is my favorite. I love this one. It's great for all of the reasons that we've pretty much just described in the sense that it's in the same world. We get a lot of the same stuff that was good about Alien, but it's a popcorn-munching, action-packed romp yeah. as well. They've taken the fun bits. Yes. They scare us enough that it's still scary, but it's not as tense. Yeah. It's more jumpy than it is tense. For sure. Do you have a shit synopsis? A shit synopsis. Do I have a shit synopsis? Because mine is still kind of capitalism in space. We're just continuing It is capitalism in space with a little girl instead of a cat. Yeah. To up the stakes. And be aptly named Burke. Very aptly named. Burke. <laughs> Which he... I believe is short for Berkeley Hunt. Well, there we go. <laughs> he is that that ideal just, like, made even more obvious. Like, painted yeah. in very broad strokes, the whole capitalism in space thing. Yeah, he is the worst, isn't he? Synopsis. 
It's a bit more roundabout. It's a bit hard to... Yeah, so it's capitalism it's in space. It's still capitalism in space, isn't it? Yeah. I do feel like scaredy cat friends, if you're listening, um, and I include that anybody that I've not met who's listening to this, if you're a scaredy cat, so am I. These are scares that are worth it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so a, I would recommend you go and watch this. Yes, it's, it, you'll find a lot to like, even if you are a scaredy cat, I yeah. feel. Not that Alien isn't worth it. It absolutely is as well, yeah. but this is it's a good, fun film, and there's... Something for everyone. Yeah. In fact, actually, I was reading that article that I sent you. I was on the Roger Ebert website, but it wasn't by him. I was a journalist, watched it with his son and his pals. At, his pal was having like an 11th birthday sleepover or something. And he also had notes under the article about how he'd gotten a lot of backlash in the comments for showing the film to a bunch of boys who were so young. Mm-hmm. But it occurred to me that I don't, I think most of the people I know who love this film saw it at an inappropriately young age. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that too uh, and and talking to some other friends. I think everybody saw, well, not everybody, most people I know saw it really quite young. I remember watching it when I lived in America so I couldn't have been older than eight. That is not an appropriate age for this movie. No, but I'm sure (laughs) by by the time I watched it my brother was really well acquainted with it. And And he'd have been what, like? Ten. Ten? Well, at oldest because we moved before our 8th and 10th birthday, so really 7 and 9. So that he's he's too young too. He's still too young yeah. to have seen this movie. But then, having said that, there is a lot to like if you're a 9-year-old boy. Because yeah. there's guns and monsters and... And there's like, not really... There's not a lot of blood or anything. Yeah. It's not particularly a graphic film. Yeah. And now I'm actually wondering if that was kind of intentional on James Cameron's part because actually it is less bloody, I think, than Alien. Because, it, yeah, there's lots of shooting aliens and, and tense peril, but mm-hmm. actually it is, it's very actiony. It's very die-hardy in its approach Yeah, in that, in that sense. So, yes, I think Nine is probably still definitely too young to be exposed to that movie, but in many ways I could totally see why a nine-year-old would be like, this is cool! Yeah, I suppose it's like there's nothing traumatising in it because there's nothing... I don't know. I think sometimes we the measure of what is going to be scarring for children... It's, I don't know, it's very easy for me as a non-parent or non-educator to say this, but like, it's not, I don't know, I actually don't know what the point is. I think what you're getting at is that perhaps we underestimate kids a little bit in, in terms of what will, in inverted commas, scar them. Yeah. I mean, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street when I was like eight, seven or eight, because yeah. of my, my, my big cousin. That scarred me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's much more bloody. It. Yeah, like, and actually speaking of my brother, I remember, I vividly remember his seventh birthday, and he and my dad had like a special father son day, and my dad took him to the cinema to see Terminator Two. Oh, I mean, that must have been what, like a fifteen or in America, it was rated R. Oh, so right, it was okay. the kind of thing. It's like you could only get in, I guess, if your parents said it was okay. I don't know what the rules are now. I think NC seventeen is the is the equivalent now mm-hmm. in America. But it's like an 18 or a 15, but I guess also like a 12A. It's like having an 18A. Yeah. You have well, to be this age to come in unless you have your parent and they say it's fine because America, government doesn't tell me what I can show my kids. <laughs> I feel like Terminator 2 is, again, it's probably not the best film to see if you're 10, but also, again, I can see why you would like it. He had a great time and it's another James Cameron one. Yeah. It's another one. It's another film I noticed where we are introduced or reintroduced in the case of Terminator 2 to a woman and a key part of her character development right off the bat is that she can do pull-ups. That's definitely had an impact on you. It has. <laughs> I have a pull-up bar and I've been trying to do pull-ups a la Sierra Corner for the last six months, but I haven't been diligent enough in my hanging practice. Well, you just better hope that Skynet doesn't develop or you end up on a, a mission to check out a terraforming colony because they've gone quiet. Yes. So if neither of these things happen, you'll be fine. 
Yes. I don't think I'd be the first person anyone would call in those situations. <laughs> but that's what you're working on, isn't it? <laughs> I'll call you. I'm much more likely to have Burke's job. And oh, then, no. But then I would just be like, mm, no, I don't think they should go there. That seems risky. Like, you'd be like, I'm the accountant. Why are you sending me? Like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. You can let me know how much it costs and I'll, I'll audit the whole thing. But like, yeah, yeah I'm not, I'm not going. I heard something about flexi time. That doesn't, how much flexi time do I get for spending 10 months in hypersleep? Although I can absolutely see, if you worked in the accounts department of Wayland Jutani, I can see you totally hating Burke. I can't see you getting on with Burke. Yeah. You'd be like, I could see him coming into your office and be like, uh, Jackie, I just need you to uh, run those numbers again. Yeah, be like, call me kiddo one more time, Burke. Yeah. Oh, it grosses me out. There's absolutely, I feel like there is no excuse for a grown man to refer to a, a grown woman he doesn't really know. Who's been asleep for 57 years, so he's exactly. definitely older than him. Definitely older than him. <laughs> Calling her kiddo, it makes me, it just, oh, it just, yeah, it makes my skin crawl and makes me hate him right away. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should start talking about this in earnest. No. Should we start with Burke? Let's start with Burke. Yeah, because, you know, in fairness, he is at the top of the movie. Uh, well, actually, you know who's at the top of the movie? He's not really, but I'm going to say that he is. It's Joshua Jackson. Yeah, Pacey Witter <laughs> opens us up with the first lines. I am. Um, I refuse to believe that that's not Joshua Jackson. I mean, I know it's not factually. I know it's not. Like, every, time, every time I see this movie, I'm like, oh, there's Joshua Jackson, Pacey, finding Sigourney Weaver, Charlie Conway. <laughs> so yes, the uh, escape pod that Ripley has been floating in. Uh, since she abandoned and blew up the Nostromo has been found, mm. but it is 57 years later. Yeah, which is. Sucks. Yeah, it's kind of wild. And we find that out through the delightful Burke. Played um, by Paul Reiser. Who I actually really like as an actor. I was trying to think what else I knew him from. Was it that was it that sitcom he did with Helen Hunt? Mad About You. Yeah, yeah. That's, his, that's his big thing. Or the thing he's most famous for, anyway. But he pops up as a character actor in things like this and in a lot of TV. Was he in the latest season of Stranger Things? He was in a... Yeah, he was. Yes, he and was. he was a similar scumbag. played a scumbag. similar character, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was a scumbag doctor or something. And I wondered if that was a slight nod to this, actually. Don't trust if, this man. Yeah, I wondered if it was slightly... A sort of, cause that, you know, Sean Astin, good guy. Paul Reiser, bad yeah. guy. <laughs> I did wonder if that was a very deliberate casting choice for that reason. I chose to believe it was, because... That, that appeals to me yeah. and you just know he's a fucking wanker right off the bat because of the way he speaks to Ripley with the whole kiddo thing and he yeah. is just too nicey nice it's the bit as well so Ripley it's like when you don't go to uni right away and your hires go out of date she's been asleep for 57 years so her flight officer credentials are obsolete so she can't really get a job mm. And that's kind of how he manipulates her into going back because he comes... Actually, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. But Ripley has to get this... I guess it's like a, it's a labour job. It's a blue-collar job that she has. And he essentially comes and shames her about it very passive-aggressively, very kind of like, oh, there's no shame in it. I know you could, it's all you could get. But the way he says it is like, well, there is shame in it. Because actually, this is over 150 years in the future from t today, let alone from 1986. And it's still a very, very classist mm -hmm. society that they live in and he he tries to make her feel like crap about her job yeah and is incredibly patronizing in every conceivable way but it it does it does emerge that that is all tactical because mm -hmm. he needs her to feel a certain way about things in order to convince her that you know going back out there to LV426 is a good idea yeah cuz like her you know her previous credentials get revoked after the board the the horrible board meeting 
Is that right? So I think, again, we've done the same thing as an alien, is I've watched the theatrical cut and you've watched the director's cut. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So there are things that are in the cut that you watched that are not in the cut that I watched, including the storyline that Ripley is a mum, which you don't get in the theatrical version at all. There is no mention of her daughter. Like, I knew it because I have in the past seen the director's cut, but there's no mention of the fact that she has a daughter that she's lost. That's and there's really also a couple of like cute little scenes with Hicks that are lost as well, which sucks. I Yeah, again, this is me defaulting to the director's cut because I was watching them on the DVDs, so that is just mm-hmm. what I did. So the boardroom scene is not in the theatrical release? No, the, th- the boardroom scene is, but I don't think her the revocation of her credentials is. Ah, right, right, got you. So got I just you. assumed it was like, you've been asleep for 57 years yeah, your it's moved on. Yeah, we don't fly those things anymore. No, my understanding is from the director's cut watching it, and maybe someone will correct us on this, is that she kind of gets demoted uh, in a mm. sort of punishmenty kind of way for blowing up all the kit. Yeah, because they don't believe her, and yeah. their main concern again, capitalism in space, is you blew up a really expensive bit of kit, and we don't really know why. And she's like, I am telling you. Why. Yeah, this is what happened, and, uh, but because she can't really corroborate it. Yeah. Yeah, and you had an interesting note about that board scene. So essentially, Ripley's been woken up after all of these years and then made to explain herself in front of these people. And you had a point in your notes, I think, in your limited notes about... <laughs> so shady! <laughs> she never studies. Like, we're always looking at my notes. <laughs> this is the dynamic that we would have had in school. It's <laughs> like, did you do the homework? I was like, uh-huh. Like, I know you did. Can I see it? <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'm not going to let you, but I always do. Because <laughs> I want you to be my friend because you're cool. <laughs> oh, God, at least I have that in my favour. <laughs> uh, what did I say in my one note that I made? Um, so I think you made a point about the the board and how there's just one woman on the board. Yes, indeed there is. And this is a really 80s thing. And actually, I was talking to another friend, an established friend, <laughs> an established bestie, about, I'm going to say it's a trend, it's not a trope, because I think it has been a real thing for women of a certain generation. Hashtag not all women of a certain generation, but there was a thing where when women started to crack that glass ceiling and get onto board meetings or get onto, like, the executive team, mm-hmm. that but there was only room for one. one. Yeah. And it's like it's that Queen Bee syndrome thing, which we see in this, because the woman who's at the board table is wearing a suit, she's chain-smoking, she's very dismissive... She's got a power bob. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like she's quite pointedly not on Ripley's side. Yeah. And we see that a lot in the 80s. Another Sigourney Weaver classic working girl, Sigourney plays the Queen Bee. Mm-hmm. And it was very much a thing. Yeah. Until it's, I think it's been increasingly called out over the last 30 years. And I feel like now we're getting to a point where women are strengthening the ladders they've come up rather than pulling them yeah. up behind them I mean that trope it's still kind of pervasive even now like there's not that many bits of content that have like a powerful women in employment women in business kind of mm-hmm. uh, hierarchical kind of contexts where she isn't in some way either pitted against the other women isolated in some way mm-hmm. or a bitch basically yeah you mentioned the bold type earlier but the 
a sort of Miranda Priestly type character in the yeah. role type. I was talking to a, an older actor friend, a female actor friend who's in uh, in her fifties, and she absolutely adores the show, but loves that character because it's the first time I think ever she's seen an older woman get to be glamorous and yeah. powerful, but also really warm and yeah. uh, supportive of the other women around her in the show. Like it's like it's almost impossible to find another example of that mm-hmm. in popular culture. So yeah, that that thing that kind of um, pitting women against each other in in hierarchical roles is so pervasive to the point where it's even difficult to find, in 2021, difficult to find examples of the opposite. Yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised by that character because she's also played by the actress who plays Jan from The Office, who's um, like from the American version of The Office. Oh, right, yeah, got you, got you, yeah. And um, she's not, she's she's really purposefully made to be as unlikable as possible in The Office. But plays it amazingly, and she's hilarious. Mm-hmm. But I was just kind of like, oh, it's Jan. But it's really like she could not be more different. <laughs> yeah, it's and she's not great, Jan. <laughs> yeah. So we digress. We digress as usual. Sorry, uh, shout out to the bold type. Um, <laughs> so yes, the director's cut. The yeah, the little bit of um, backstory we get for Ripley, mm-hmm. I think, is quite important. I think it is, and I think we should discuss it because it's actually really important theme of the film. Mm -hmm. So we learn in the director's cut that Ripley had a daughter. Mm -hmm. And it is the first thing she asks about, obviously, because she doesn't know how long she's been asleep. When she finds that out, it's quite traumatic and deeply shocking for her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we find out that she had a daughter called... Is it Alice? Amanda, Amanda, sorry, Amanda, yeah. Uh, Amanda Ripley McLaren, um, who was 66 at the time of her death. So Ripley's missed her whole life. And she mentioned something really poignant. She says that when she set off on her original jaunt out in the Nostromo that she told Amanda that she'd be back in time for her birthday. Her 11th birthday, I think, she says. It's been so long since I've seen that version. Yeah. And she has this little moment and um, Burke hands her a photo of Amanda as an older woman. And it's just very very tender and very sad. Mm. And uh, fun fact, I wrote a fanfic about Amanda... You did. Uh, I did, because I had this. Like, well, it was, a, it was an alien fanfic, but it was. I had this idea, which actually has since been explored by someone in the real franchise uh, about there being a sort of prequel idea where we follow Amanda's life and her investigations into what happened to her mother, and in so doing, she uncovers shadowy things about the Whalen Jutani Corporation, and they wow. start to try and shut her up. And I've since returned to it because I really like the idea of it being a TV show. Yeah. (laughs) And I'd really like to write an outline and actually pitch it as an idea. But I then found out that technically that sort of does exist in game form. Right, okay. One of the most recent Alien franchise games, I think it's Alien Isolation or something like that. Your brother will probably know this. It centres around Amanda Ripley. And yeah, I think think they explore a bit of that in the game in the sort of arc the narrative arc of the game but I don't think that I don't think that means I still can't write an outline <laughs> no I don't think so I, um, ch- I mean I re- I'm refusing to believe anything that happens between alien t- aliens and alien 3 um, because it yeah, doesn't that's serve my purposes yeah absolutely fair <laughs> so the setup really is that uh, Ripley's alone she's lost everything mm-hmm. and she's having nightmares we see that she's having nightmares she keeps flashing back yeah to... she's got PTSD for she's sure she's got severe PTSD and um like right at the top of the movie, we get that kind of bluff where we think it's really happening. She wakes up and the nurse comes in to check on her, and then her her chest starts to contract and it bursts out, and and we all we think it's happening, and then she wakes up and it's all very dramatic for yeah. both Ripley and the audience. Yeah. 
Jonesy's fine. Jonesy's fine. Jonesy's, Jonesy got over it. Jonesy was like, I'm still mad that you threw me in my cat carrier into, into a wall, essentially. He's still mad about that. So she kind of gets brought down to her lowest possible place. The aftermath of the board meeting is that nobody believes her. She's being punished for capitalism um, reasons uh, because she blew up an expensive thing and she's had her credentials revoked and she's demoted. She's literally at her lowest point when Burke makes the offer to act as a consultant, I guess. Well, there's a terraforming colony. That's a really important point. There's a terraforming colony on LV426. Yeah. Forgot to mention that. That comes up in the board meeting that, <laughs> that she does. says, why don't you just go check out the planet? And they say, we don't need to because there's been a terraforming colony there. They've been there for like 20 years or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I assume that some time has passed between the board meeting and them coming to say you need to go back because I guess she's gone is she, is she on earth by that point so she's got a job this is um, possibly something that the director's cut gives you that the theatrical release doesn't mm. because there's a scene in the director's cut where it cuts to the colony right. and you see the people there and you see them there's a kid on a bike and there's lots of things branded with Wayland Yutani and there's this conversation between this kind of like admin guy and a lackey where the so he comes up to the admin guy and is like the head HQ have sent us some coordinates to go check out <gasps> and there's this back and forth of the admin guy is like Ugh, I, you know I kind of just do what what it, like head office tell me to do if I ask why they say don't ask so what do I do I don't ask and there's like this kind of like right. slightly comic like I'm a harassed office guy he's got his coffee and his fucking clipboard and he's like I don't know just fucking go out there yeah and the sort of premise is that they, they sent a family out to check the coordinates as asked but they've not come back so what that scene implies is that they brush Ripley off, but what they actually do is go and investigate, go what, investigate she what she said. So I think the the idea is that the terraforming colony is far enough away from the original uh, crash site that the Nostromo came across I get, that like, they've never had an issue. I su- yeah, I get. I suppose that there's an element like there aren't any. Um, I don't why I don't know. Maybe we don't want to get into this, but I guess it's like <laughs> an alien cane goes and there's a bunch of eggs. Yeah. And we don't know how the eggs are there. We find out in aliens because there's a queen who's laying them all. Mm-hmm. But in order to get lots of aliens, you need hosts for the face huggers. So I don't think we should pull it that. I don't bread. think we should. <laughs> I don't think we should. But like very broadly speaking, I guess someone has to go and poke the bear. Yes. To some extent. So here's my theory. Mm-hmm. Here's my slightly nerdy theory on this, which we're going to take as gospel because we're we don't want to spend this huge amount of time. Exactly. We're just going to we don't gonna know. Jackie decide. Lou don't have a clue. Jackie Lou. Well, Lou has a clue. Don't have a clue. Jackie Lou don't have a clue. Yeah. Lou's making up a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a take, and Mr. James Cameron, feel free to take this as canon if you like. I think what has happened is, because we've established that this organism is very, very good at staying alive. So Mm -hmm. I think in the absence of anything to infect or host, or act as a host, the eggs go dormant. They're very good at like going into long-term hibernation. Mm -hmm. And if other xenomorphs that are maybe kicking around die because of like lack of whatever, that's kind of fine because the eggs can basically shut down until there is something for them to infect. So my theory is that, and it, it kind of, it does kind of preclude 
a queen. <laughs> like it kind of ignores the queen thing. Because maybe there was a queen on the space jockey, which is what they call that big thing. That big, that I've just since discovered that's what they call that. The ship from Prometheus that crashed on LV-426 okay. that the Nostromo went to investigate. They call that the space jockey, apparently. Oh. I don't know why. We God, could probably find out why. There's so much <laughs> stuff, isn't there? There will be a reason why. I just, I just don't know what it is off the top of my head. So boys who listen to this, because we've already had a little bit of trolling for our alien episode. We our, don't care. Our first trolling. I know. We've made it. We've totally made it. Uh, and for the record, I don't care. Um, we didn't interact, which I'm proud of us for. I'm very proud of us. <laughs> we didn't and won't. Yep. And yeah, so my theory is that the eggs go dormant until something happens and xenomorphs can stay alive as long as they need to. But the most important part is that the eggs are there because the eggs are the thing that if anything comes across them, that's how you keep the species Mm. going. So a queen and other little xenomorph hive workers. That is my theory, that the eggs have been hanging out. And then when the same thing happens again, somebody goes out there and puts their face up next to the slimy egg and... Because for some reason, people in this future who are used to space travel, for some reason, have gotten really devil-may-care with the whole face near eggs thing. Do we think... So we're thinking... We've talked about the smoking before. (laughs) Which they also do a lot in this movie. They do a lot more. I think there is one, like, oh, the studio said we had to put in a cancer reference. So I think, like, when the... Was it Lieutenant Apone? He's smoking cigars... And someone's like, you're going to get lip cancer from that. So it's like, someone has said that they have to make a cancer reference. <laughs> just, just throw it in <laughs> just there. Just throw in that yeah. it's a possibility. But maybe at that point, like, the healthcare system has got to a point where things are curable. Not that curable, I guess, if Amanda Ripley died at 66, but... Yeah, I did, um, know, I did note that in my head, that, that was old, quite young. Yeah, yeah, it's not a particularly high age. But then we don't know if she was doing some some surreptitious investigation that maybe it was untimely but we are really going down some rabbit holes Mm -hmm, in this one mm -hmm. let's keep going let's keep moving yeah let's see on ahead uh the director's cut gives us that little bit of uh, bridging between the board meeting and the reason that they are now going back out because there is that little bit like well maybe we'll just go check anyway you know we've we've totally made an arse of her and we've totally humiliated in the boardroom but you know what we'll just nothing to lose by just just going out to check and um and then all hell breaks loose because in doing so, we've poked the slimy egg. That was my point, is maybe like healthcare systems moved on to the point where it's like, well, even if something bad happens, they'll fix me. And that's why they're so devil me care with the egg thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you just stick your face in things because it's like, oh, I'll be fine. It's fine. <laughs> that's that, that actually, that was my point. I think it's actually quite a good one. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Like it's everyone's just a bit like, ah, oh, yeah, sure. I'll, uh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy is still alive and well in the future <laughs> and is gaslighting you and fucking you over because they are gaslighting mm-hmm. Ripley yeah um, and then they need her surprise fucking surprise yeah because they go out they check it out lose contact with the colony and Burke has to tell Ripley that and she's like you motherfuckers yes uh huh <laughs> yeah well, I mean what did you do did you just actually tell them to go out and stick their face in those eggs is <laughs> that what you did sounds like you might have <laughs> And this comes back to the original point we were making about her demotion and where she's at and how Burke kind of gaslights her and manipulates her because he uses that tactic to sort of go, well, what have have you got going on here? Like, Mm. we need you to come out onto this um, mission to check out what's going on in LV-426. You have nothing, so what have you got to lose? And she says no at first, but then she's still having nightmares and she's in this shitty little, like, one 
room pod yeah, it's thing like a and it's futuristic bed set. Yeah, with some futuristic coffee that looks futuristic shit. Yeah. Smoking her futuristic cigarettes with yeah. the ash that doesn't fall off. Yeah. Her sixty five year old cat. Her sixty five year old cat. <laughs> Old ass cat. Not there's anything wrong with having an old cat. I love you, Vera. <laughs> yeah, no shade, Vera. And uh, yeah, so eventually she she wakes up after one of her nightmares. She video chats. She FaceTimes Burke. Yeah. <laughs> gets him on the Zoom to let him know she's up for it. She's up for it. But also on a on the stipulation of you're going to destroy them, right? And she's yeah. very clear. You're not not to study, not to bring back. To destroy, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, totally." Sure thing, kiddo. Pow, pow, pow. <laughs> Finger guns. Ignore this eye patch and scar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no worries, chief. Sure yeah. thing, kiddo. Yeah, he's like giving it, giving it all that. He's such a dick. And uh, so she says, "Okay." Yep. So we go, and uh, then then we meet the, and she says her cat has to stay at home because her love for him put her in some excess danger last time. Yeah. And um, Jonesy, I think, is fine with that. Jonesy's fine with that. Um, so I did actually learn a fact about Jonesy today. <gasps> it's jingle um, time. Jing- learn something brilliant with Jackie's Facts. Let's see. So the first one was actually... So I looked up who played Jonesy. And uh, in the first film, he was actually played by four different cats oh wow so they had a different cat for hissing a different cat for snuggling and like two other things so that they the cat had like to do seven dwarfy cats like <laughs> yes. this is hissy this is snuggly this is runny <laughs> <laughs> they went to the cat casting agency yeah cat casting and then in Aliens, he is just played by one cat who's called Boris, after Boris Yeltsin, very 80s. I love it. And Boris <laughs> clearly has range if they only just needed him. Just like... needed him. Um, and there's a comic called Suze Kempner. Oh, uh, yes, uh-huh. uh-huh. It's her cat. It was her cat. Well, it isn't. He has since passed because he would be very old at this point, but he was her cat. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, so I found a tweet by her saying this was her cat. So she actually had a tweet like back in 2020 that um, she also saw this film when she was seven because her mum decided to show her the film because the cat was in it, but then showed her the whole film, even though the cat's only like the first 15 minutes. The first 15 and the last 15. Yeah. And then the trauma in between. Like, <laughs> it's like probably not unnecessary. that necessary, but very enjoyable. <laughs> and lots of good role models for us. But they made Boris hiss by just showing him another cat because he hated them. <laughs> I relate hard to that energy. <laughs> yeah. I get that. It's actually, I think people who don't like cats should be comforted to know that most cats don't like cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. That's yeah. a good fact. Yeah. Um, Cats and facts. Cats and facts. To my Um, best, to my best things. That brings us, I guess, to meeting all the Marines. Yes, which is absolutely brilliant. I I will say before we move off of this, I have a new. I'm looking at what limited notes I did take. Mm -hmm. We better Um, make the most of them because there are very few. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's really giving it to me tight this week, guys, and I deserve it. Yeah, I love Boardroom Ripley. Before we move off of Boardroom okay. Ripley, I love it. And I'd like to think I modelled some of my personality, except for the part that doesn't study, on <laughs> Boardroom Ripley. Because she's got such She's big... my jobs worthiness with your sass. <laughs> yes. Which is a deadly combination. <laughs> it's a deadly combination. 
it's just great. Like, it's really good. She, like, you know, she, well, she says it outright. She knows exactly where this is going because she's a fucking pro. She knows that, she knows that they don't believe her. Uh, yeah, her energy in the whole thing is, like, she doesn't back down, but mm-hmm. she also doesn't get hysterical for, I hate using that word, but, you know what I mean? She doesn't get, like, she gets mad, but in a really, like, justifiable sexy kind of like mm-hmm. professional way mm-hmm. and um, I just love it I just wanted to shout out Boardroom Ripley before we move on because it is a great scene Yeah. Um, and I love that line did IQs just fucking drop while yeah. I was away I love that line so much because there's so much in that scene there's so much um, wordplay and gaslighting around it like you know they keep saying you know how could this thing be there no indigenous life could do that and she's like you're not fucking listening to me it's not indigenous it yeah. crashed it came it from was somewhere on else like, yeah. and there's something about her maintaining her ground mm-hmm. and not allowing herself to be gaslit you know that way where like gaslighting is by its very definition and nature is like to make you question the veracity yeah. of what you're saying and it's like she just doesn't let it happen which is amazing given the level of her trauma the fact that she's had like such a weird experience like she's been asleep for 57 years yeah she's woken up with like these terrible dreams you'd almost think that she would want to believe it didn't really happen yeah yeah it would be much easier to just think yeah I've just had a mental break it's it's really it's really great stuff because she is clearly traumatised but the way that she handles it Mm -hmm. and then the making the decision to go back is part of her deciding to take ownership of that trauma and do something about it face it yeah so big big props to Sigourney Weaver and Ellen Ripley so yes let's see what else my notes say not much (laughs) very little Uh, ladies and gentlemen she's been so sassy so sassy so Marines. It's marine time. It's marine time. Let's do it. It's a good bit. It is good. We get some of that similar action from the first film, so we get a little kind of repeat of the whole waking up out of hypersleep chat, which is fun. You get the disgruntled... Ness, I think Drake makes a comment about how they're not paid enough for this. Yeah. We meet... Hicks play who was being typecast as a like ideal feminist dream man <laughs> in James Cameron films. Apparently so, yeah. Uh we've he got is quite dreamy. He is dreamy. He's great. We've got so much to say about him. Um, Your voice went really weird there. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't even blame my I just have a lot of feelings about Hicks. Feelings about Hicks. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get there. We will. Um it started already. <laughs> We meet Hicks. He's a dreamboat. He's he, boss man. Well, yeah. he's not the boss, but he's sort of head of the grunts, I suppose. Yes. If not not yet in position, but definitely in, in sort of... He's a natural leader. Natural leader, yeah. We meet Hudson, played by Bill Paxton, Yay. who was, of course, the link between... Or it was, he was our... Well, no, I, there's so many links between this and Titanic, which was the link. Yeah, which is... I mean, the director being The one. director. <laughs> yeah. Hudson, Vasquez. Ding, ding, ding for Bill Jim Paxton. Jim Horner. There's <laughs> yeah, yeah. a lot of repeat. He's brought his gang. He's brought his gang. Well, that, wait, hang on. This is this where is the, the gang, gang formed. Yeah, yeah, this is the gang. This and he brought the... all of these guys yeah. to Titanic. Quite yeah. rightly. So we meet Hudson, who... Uh, he is this film's Lambert. He mm-hmm. is to this film what Lambert was to Alien. And also he is the embodiment of toxic masculinity yeah. in this film. None of which is rewarded. But he's also kind of... He is all of those things, but in an... But maybe this is just Bill Paxton and the way he plays it, but also, once we push past the, the really irritating hysteria, he's actually quite likeable with a lot of that, and he does have a wee bit of a redemption arc. He does, and there's something about the the fact that he says a couple of really problematic things. He says the thing... Let's just move on. We'll come back to what he says, but we meet Drake and Vasquez... Yep. who have they're, the cutest relationship they're besties, in film. yeah. 
Um, and we meet Lieutenant Apone, who's just your bread and butter, hilarious, tough as nails military sergeant. Yeah, chewing guy. on that cigar. Yeah, <laughs> calling everybody sweetheart. Asses and elbows, yeah. whatever that means. Assholes and elbows. I looked that up. I okay. looked up assholes and elbows and, and it was a What kind of search results did that yield? <laughs> Very good ones. No, it, it came from uh, some sort of labour that would happen, but it's a reference to like if someone's doing really hard manual labour, so you're bent over, say, with a shovel, so your bum is in the air mm-hmm. and your as are your elbows. So it's like assholes and elbows is like work really hard now, please. Yeah. All I want to see is your assholes and your elbows because... Great. That's what's in the air. That makes sense. I love yeah. it. That was another great Jackie's fight. Um, so we meet him and we meet... They're kind of like the main Marines. They're the main ones, yeah. Everyone else, and, and this I feel like this might be quite intentional, no, everyone else is sort of not as well drawn because they get offed pretty, pretty much immediately. <laughs> yeah, probably the next one's maybe Frost. Yeah. Who's a very tall, handsome man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, but he goes quite quickly and there's a couple of other women there's Pharaoh and there's kind of like a medic-y woman whose name I'm not sure of um, but she's the one who wakes up and calls Drake ugly which she's very upset about but we meet Vasquez who gets out of her hyper sleep and just immediately starts doing pull-ups and there is a moment where Hudson says to her Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man? and she says, no, have you? and it's like, burn! So, and it starts this thing where, like, Hudson says really problematic dick things. Yeah. Gets immediately owned. Yeah. And then Drake says something to Vasquez that's basically like, Vasquez, yes! <laughs> yeah. Like, he's basically there in this film to be her hype man. Yeah, he's yes queening it all over the <laughs> <Yes>. place. <laughs> Which is really nice because he's, like, this tall, blonde guy. So, yeah. like, they could have made him the Vasquez character. She is the baddest ass of all of the Marines. Mm-hmm. But she's a fire foot two women yeah and he basically is just there to be like yes you're amazing he's not even like white savioring her by sticking up for her. he's letting her stick up for herself and then like hyping her over it and i think that's one of the reasons why we don't really have to hate hudson because he's not actually causing harm yeah he's not there i don't think he is there to be hated no as, as everyone such. kind of knows he's a bit of a fanny yeah yeah and he is he plays that sort of what he provides is that comic relief in so Mm. many ways in a film where there's not really much room for that no Um, and he's the Lambert in this film in that he is us yes he is reacting the way that most likely I speak for myself oh I would react yeah I think we would all be like game over man (laughs) game over (laughs) Um, but it's great but while we're on Vasquez um, I did have a little look into just her I was just like because she's such a great character she's so tough uh, she's so brave and I was just doing some googling and it came up about I was like what is she? and Jeanette Goldstein obviously you know this is her first of three James Cameron films um, and we, we know my hot take about her reincarnation journey go back to the Titanic episode uh, if you'd like to hear it yes we, we might I might need to write that up in some form for people to access <laughs> as a theory because it's <laughs> magnificent if you go to the Titanic show notes <laughs> yeah you can see the time at which you can hear the theory oh my god it's amazing and this is her most futuristic least authority respecting incarnation mm-hmm. however we need to know at this point in my googling I did discover that her casting is somewhat problematic yes because Vasquez has been writing quite specifically as a Latinx character 
and Jeanette Goldstein is not strictly a Latinx actress. No, she's what is she, she's, is, she's white, isn't she? Yeah. So like, I her re- name's Jeanette Goldstein. So like, it I is, but it's like... not to say that no Latinx people are Jewish. <laughs> no, I know. So I gave just... her the benefit of the doubt and did a bit more digging. Because <laughs> I is, wanted to believe the best in her. Makes me think of like like her name sounds like it's that, a very white name. It's a very white name. If Jeanette Goldstein sounds like your busybody neighbor in her late 40s yeah like, that's what she says yeah. like so her background went so in interviews she will describe herself as part russian moroccan brazilian okay so her her defense has been a little bit like well there weren't a lot of like russian moroccan brazilian characters knocking around that i could play fair enough jeanette however that wasn't this character either so like and it's also it's different for white people because there's lots of parts for white people so yeah it's sort of in that same vein of justification that Scarlett Johansson played yes. with isn't it and very damningly there's enough to damn this without this but incredibly damningly bringing it right down on the side of no is the fact that she was essentially in brown face in this film that's what I was going to ask yeah. I was wondering about that because when you see her in Titanic playing an Irish woman yeah. much much later I was like like in terms of how she presents she is she presents She's as white, as white. Yeah. and I you know looking back on it seeing her as Vasquez I was like I know something has been done to her here to make her look as Yeah, so they she had very problematic. She had browner makeup on her face and darker contact lenses in. Yeah, no. So that's not that's that's not it. That's not acceptable. That's not the one. She so in interviews she's and like yeah I I I do understand where she's coming from. I don't want to go ahead and be cancelling Jeanette Goldstein because this is a long time ago and no and cancelling is not I don't I'm not we're not cancellers. It's like this is a do this is a do better yeah. It's an accountability chat. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's you know she's a fave, and sometimes our faves are problematic, and we need to address that and just. I think this is it. the moment where because I've been wanting a problematic fave jingle for a while. I feel like this is it. This is the moment, Chris. You've got a new jingle assignment. Problematic fave. <laughs> doesn't mean we don't love Vasquez we do oh yeah stand Vasquez big time but yeah, yeah you all of this is completely valid and there is important yeah yeah um, and one of the reasons that she got cast was because actually at the time she was doing bodybuilding because she didn't have a lot of acting work so she'd started working out and she turned up apparently for her interview in uh, loads of makeup and like heels and a skirt because she saw that the film was called Aliens and she thought it was about immigration. Oh, God. And so she turned up to the audition and there was a bunch of people dressed as Marines because they had better agents. Oh, my God. That's... Oh, I feel that. That's excruciating. But she explained to them, she was like, but I actually have the physique to play this part because I've been doing bodybuilding. So she could lift and she was really strong. She could actually do those pull-ups. There we go. Which are hard Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for people to do. Not something to be taken for granted. So I understand why they would want to cast her, but you can change the name of the person. And also, I'm sure that there were plenty of Latinx bodybuilding actresses that they could have found. And interestingly, I do wonder about the ways in which that character informed a trope that then becomes a thing. Because 
the whole marine assembly thing has mm. been done again and again, inspired, I think, by aliens and having them all have their individual character traits and representing certain archetypes. Yeah. The, and the, the bullshit, badass, strong Latinx women is something that I think Vasquez partly inspired. Yeah. Which is kind of mad when you think that actually the problematic nature of the way that character was originally cast and presented is it's sort of interesting that it, then I think it did inspire that as a trope. Yeah. But there's also probably a dynamic there which neither of us will be really in a position to comment on. I have no knowledge on this personally, but about why that was a Latinx character. Uh, okay, yeah. In uh-huh. terms of... I do not know the answer to this and maybe there isn't one but like is there a reason why that wasn't a woman of a different race specifically because they have written that character as Vasquez yeah that's a really good question and an interesting point to raise because without the script in front of me I, I can't say for sure if it was like always intended to be that way but it certainly feels like it mm-hmm. from because if it was about it being inclusive and like having a more diverse character base, you would think that they would have been more conscious about having diverse casting. It's just, it, yeah, and I think the problem is that these conversations just weren't being had then. Mm. We're now in a place where these conversations are being had in a meaningful way, which is great for progress, but sort of fucked up when you look back on things and decisions that were made through this lens. Mm-hmm. Because from the standpoint that we have now, it's hard to look back at that 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 room, that office one day and having that conversation and, and why they didn't just go, well, if, if Vasquez is Latinx, then why are we just not doing that casting calls? Because I yeah. refuse to believe that there were Latinx people who were... Yeah, or it's like Jeanette like, Goldstein's come in and actually, but, you know, physically she's perfect and she's an amazing actress, so why don't we just rename that character yeah. Smith? Yeah. And or, and then and if and and you know make another character yeah Latin Vasquez and cast a, a Latinx actress or like change the ch- the casting of Drake yeah oh yeah and that would that would like, you, and you could absolutely still yeah. have that dynamic yeah they could still be besties and like yeah there's so many things that could be done and it feels so simple so it's hard to look it is really hard to understand what the logic was then and part of it I just have to assume is ignorance it's just like mm-hmm. this is who this character is and yeah that and and, and Goldstein can play it no problem because yeah. we just we'll, we'll pat some foundation on her and hope for the best. <laughs> Like, yeah, and, and there was a thing. So there's a interview I found with her in 1987 that I've put in our notes so that I can remember. I'll put it in the show notes because it's a really interesting conversation because it's basically about her experience on the film in in 1987. So she's not being defensive about it or anything, but it's just like her, what her experience was at the time. And she's talking about how she ke- she got typecast and kept getting offered Hispanic roles. Oh wow! So didn't want. Well, nobody wants to be typecast, so she has some frustrations about that, and it's worth a read. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, that does sound worth a read because it's interesting. She is clearly extremely versatile as your theory posited in the Titanic. She's a good actress. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like this is we're we're it's important to really acknowledge that this is problematic casting and today you would hope an actress would or any actor would balk more at this at being cast in this role yeah but i don't think we can remove the fact that she did a great job at acting like she these are the complex conversations because she's brilliant in the part and it's a great character yeah and she's not two-dimensional no like you you really get who she is. She had a backstory for her character. Mm-hmm. So one of her backstory was that she and I don't know if this was her or if this was James Cameron because we know he likes to give people backstories uh, even if they're not on film. But the backstory that she gave for Vasquez and Drake is that they were recruited to the Marines from a juvenile prison. So they have to be in the Marines for life. 
Oh, that's super cool. Which is why they're much more like, fuck it. Like, you know, her whole thing when Ripley's telling them about what the xenomorphs are like, she's like, I just need to know one thing, where they are. Yeah. And Drake's like, yeah, because that's his job. Anytime, <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you're too bad, Vasquez. <laughs> just so, too bad. I just love that. It's great. I, it so much. I just want them to have their own movie night. <laughs> so, I want, I want, that is the prequel I want. Oh, okay. Like, how do they become besties and, yeah. and what happens? And then that's juxtaposed with Hudson, who, when he discovers that the aliens are probably going to get them, starts talking about how he only had four weeks left. Yeah, that's so there's right. people, so, yeah, the, yeah. So, there, so there's this kind of background that isn't expressed in the film about how some of them are lifers and some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. So Jeanette Goldstein, I do believe, is a is a wonderful actress, but the, this this casting ideally shouldn't have happened. Yeah, yeah, and again, it just comes full circle back to that point where, it, uh, in its way, it started a trope that then mm-hmm. led to the casting and uh, the writing of more Latinx characters in these types of movies. Mm-hmm. Michelle Rodriguez was the one that popped into my mind because she plays a, a version of that much later, yeah. and not just in Resident Evil, but I think in some other films as well. Yeah, and and actors similar to Michelle Rodriguez, the, you you see it pop up. It's a thing that pops up forevermore yeah. after Aliens. So it is really odd to square that in your mind with that knowledge it's 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 really valuable and interesting contextual knowledge so yeah because Jack. it's like and there will be people that argue that it was a good thing because it will create roles but also it's going to create roles that are very pigeonholy yeah everything everything and that creates its... stereotypes yeah brilliant stuff so pub quiz question yeah this is one for you all i feel like just very quickly before we move away from the assembly of the marines they are hudson played by Bill Paxton, Vasquez, played by Jeanette Goldstein, Drake, played by Mark Ralston, Frost, who is played by Rico Ross, Spunkmeyer, Daniel Cash, Crow, Tip Tipping. Uh, and, oh, how do you pronounce that? Do they ever say it? I'm going to say Wierzbowski. Wierzbowski? Yeah, okay. Wierzbowski, played by Trevor Steedman, and Corporals Dietrich, Cynthia Dale-Scott, and Pharaoh Colette Hiller. And Hicks. And Hicks. Did I not say Hicks? Did you? I'm sure I said Hicks. Why oh, I didn't. Where's I Hicks? I was listening for Hicks. You were. <laughs> Every part of you was listening for Hicks. <laughs> Always. Played by Michael Bean. Hicks played by Michael Bean. So, yeah, being able to name all of the Marines is a good pub quiz question. I just failed by not including Hicks. <laughs> These are her notes. <laughs> they're right in front of me. <laughs> and they're still These wrong. are the notes she did take. Oh my god. Laura, I don't know why I'm busting your balls. She's tonight. giving me such a hard time, guys. Oh, I'm sweating. Okay, so we're getting these and guys A-pone. together. An Apone. Did I miss Apone as well? Do you know what? Fuck my notes. <laughs> Let's not rely on my notes ever again. See, this is why I don't take them, Jackie. This is why. Uh, Normally you take more than nine. <laughs> I have 22, thank you very okay. much. Okay, so we get together. We have the little moment where Ripley has to explain kind of why she's there. And it's a good little thing that they used to do like before we had 87 Avengers films where you didn't have to just see all the other films. At some point there'd be a little quick scene where somebody gives you a synopsis of the previous film (laughs) so that you know what's going on. And this is it. Did somebody make you watch uh, something in the Marvel Cinematic Universe recently that offended you? No, it's just... just, There's so many. There are a lot. There's so many, and I haven't watched them all. Well, you know what? We're still technically in the middle of a pandemic, and you have my Disney Plus login details. Just go to town. Get yourself sorted out. 
so we do get a little bit of what the uh, Marvel movies lack, which is a quick summary <laughs> of previously on. Sometimes people just want to enjoy the film they're watching. They don't Who's need, that guy? They don't need a Masters in fucking Thor. Why is Tony Stark mad at him? Who's that? What's going on? Oh, that seems to be some sort of Easter egg. <laughs> Why is Thor here? <laughs> <laughs> that There seems to be a vibe between those two. What's that about? Oh, hey, it's Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, we get a previously on, fortunately. Which is very good. Which is very film. helpful. As opposed to, it's just like you go into Marvel. Watching a Marvel film is like meeting, like meeting your new boyfriend's friends, <laughs> and they all have a bunch of in jokes that they don't explain to you, and you feel punished. Yeah, <laughs> that's no. neither here nor there. We're not talking about the. Avengers. No, 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 no. Not right now, at least. But I feel like that they may they may come up in the future, and Jackie's going to be real mad. <laughs> Who hurt you, Jackie? Yeah. Captain America hurt you. Captain America. <laughs> uh, so, he is the worst one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we get a bit of a previously on. Ripley's like, guys, seriously, this is going to be a fucking shitemare. It's essentially <laughs> what she says. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 cool, we've got big guns. And um, Apart from Hicks, who's looking at her intently and listening to every word she says in a very sexy manner. Yeah, he's listening. He's really, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> And then we also have a scene in the sort of mess hall canteen where they are, they continue to be shitty to Ripley because she doesn't really sit with them and they're like, I think she gets called Snow White by someone. I think Vasquez. By by Vasquez, which is... That's when they first wake up, she says, who's Snow White? That's it, yeah. So we're sorry, we're arsed about it here. So yeah, mess hall canteen comes first and then we get the sort of briefing previously on chat. Um, And that's really important because actually the mess hall gives us Bishop as well. Lovely Bishop, who is our droid, who's established in a great way because we get to see Hudson being owned. Yeah. Uh, with the knife thing. How many boys, or just not even just boys, maybe that's not fair, but how many p- idiot young people who saw this film do you think did try to do that knife thing? So I actually, when I was watching this, because I, again, I know I've seen this film more than I've seen Alien, but I hadn't seen it for quite a long time. And I remember, I know that last, when we talked about Alien, you talked about your childhood best friend, Philip. One of my childhood best friends, Jordan, who I was best friends with from the ages of about five to seven, and he lived across, this was when I lived in America, and we had like backyards that faced each other. And mm-hmm. we would just we were best friends. We had nothing in common apart from the fact that we lived really close to each other and liked running around. And I remember being in his kitchen and he picked up a butter knife and did it on himself. Obviously not to the same speed. <laughs> not, um, not in droid level speed. Yeah, and it was a butter knife. I mean still. Like even so, I mean I wasn't gonna do it and then he was like, Can I do it on you? And I was like, Absolutely fucking not. Uh, hell no, in, Jordan. Yeah. In five year old. <laughs> Whatever the five-year-old's version of... However you drew boundaries at five, you did it then. It was probably just a straight... I don't think so. (laughs) No, no. Not for me, thank you. No, thank you, Jordan. Um, I'm going to tell on you if you try and do that to me. I think that's probably what I would have said. I was such a little dick. I will tell on you. What a grass. If you come anywhere close to me with that butter knife. And you know what? Actually, I was about to give you shade about being a grass, but actually you should absolutely (laughs) tell on someone if they come at you with a butter knife. Age, if a man pulls a knife on you, please tell, tell on them. Tell a responsible adult. You be a grass. <laughs> yeah. You be a big old grass. 
So I do remember that, and that was a thing, and that must be where it came from. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think um, I just imagine that this caused all sorts of mayhem with cut fingers and injuries. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if it was a thing before the film. I didn't. That was something I didn't look up. It probably was. I mean, I dare say it was. It feels like something you would see in like a an army movie, you know, it's a Vietnam. You know, it just feels. Or it's just like hard men in a pub. Yeah. In like, yeah. Yeah. It just yeah. It feels. It feels like a thing that existed prior to this, and it's really funny. It's a great scene. Mm-hmm. We get a bit more of Hudson and his whole vibe and it's yeah it's great the whole thing that's like it's just bravado and toxic masculinity serves nobody yeah this is not funny man (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah so this is important because bishop nicks his finger so Mm -hmm. we he we see that he has the milky viscous white blood thing that uh, ash has yeah so we are told it's communicated to the audience who've seen alien at least that he is an artificial guy and artificial person artificial person which is what he prefers I think isn't I think it so, yeah. yeah and Ripley freaks out she has a you didn't tell me there was going to be an android on board mm. and uh, Burke is like oh I should explain to everybody Ripley's had a bad experience and there were some deaths involved yeah he's being and he's being really he's like, and he's like oh I'm so sorry I didn't even think it I should have I should have thought like you just fucking just fuck off Burke <laughs> just fuck off yeah <laughs> And then we get a little bit of character colour from, from Bishop here because he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, that's that's horrendous. Like, we're programmed to never harm a human. And Yeah, and he quotes the, is it like the Asimov's principles mm-hmm. about, I can't harm a human or allow through inaction a human to be harmed yes. thing. Which and is like, that's like the AI canon, yeah. isn't it, about how Android is. And I don't think it's ever been deviated from, which is interesting. And the Asimov principles is like pretty much what any kind of storytelling roots AI in. Apart from Terminator. Apart from Terminator. <laughs> they just went, well, James Cameron's like, I did that. I, I, I quoted Asimov in my last movie. I'm not going to do it again. No, I'm we're going to fuck gonna... it up. <laughs> I wonder if that's how he got the idea. Anyway. Anyway, we'll get to Terminator. <laughs> Maybe we should do Terminator next. Maybe. He, and yeah, he has this kind of gentle moment and I like this scene because what this scene does is it gives us... Um, something about Bishop, something about where Ripley's at, and also something about Burke. Because mm-hmm. Burke also has like, oh, we always have a synthetic on board, and then Bishop's like, I prefer artificial person, thank you yeah. very much. So we get all of this nice like suggestion that things have moved on since what happened with Ripley, and also what it reminds the audience who have maybe seen this before or seen the, the first one is that the actual shady player in all of this is not the synthetic or artificial person, it's the corporation. Because yeah. Burke sitting in the, this little triangle of a conversation is representing the corporation yeah. who who tried to fuck up the shit through the android before but are going through a different route through Burke through this time. good old shite bag human. Good old fashioned <laughs> shit bag Burke. Yeah. yeah. Because actually, and, and Bishop to his credit really does try and reassure Ripley by saying there were these were issues that we had with older models. I'm prevented by software from doing that. But, that sound, but he also acknowledges that that must have been really hard. Mm-hmm which the other human in the conversation has is, not managed is not to do. managed to do. It was like, oh, there were some deaths involved. Oh, fucking were there? Yeah. <laughs> is that, that what not, happened? Has that not come up? There were some deaths involved? Yeah. What, what were these, phrasing this? These fucking 12 guys with guns all about them. Like, yeah. It's just, like, yeah. It's all very clumsy. And that further emphasised why it's really brilliantly done in terms of what yeah. it establishes about Bishop. And then I guess the last good thing that happens in the whole Marine Assembly set of scenes is uh, everyone's getting ready to 
do the drop down to the planet and getting their gear together and Ripley's feeling like a bit of a spare part she's like is there anything I can yeah. do and they're like oh we don't really know little lady like that's the right. energy what, what can you do <laughs> yeah what can you do you're yeah. a woman yeah that's the thing she's like is there anything I can do and Apon's like well is there anything you can do yeah and she's like I can I can drive that loader and we get a classic James Cameron set up for payoff later. Yeah, it's an act two gun. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so she gets into the loader, which is basically like a big fucking robot crab suit. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's a robot crab Nailed suit. It. Yeah. And she gets all geared up and ready to go. And we have this like mid shot of her face in the loader with a kind of like, where do you want it? Like, cause she's lifting up stuff. And there's, yeah, and there's just like all the like, zoop, 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 zoop. Noises and Apon and Hex is also very importantly sexually watching. Yeah, very, very important. <laughs> and they're just watching her do it and they're just delighted that she can. Uh, do you know, right, okay, I don't love that moment because it feels slightly... It feels slightly incongruous to me, but this might just be my knowledge of the character up until this point. Like, it just feels a little... Like, why are they so surprised that she can do it? I think... So I, I get where you're coming from, and I'm like, is it because she's a woman or is it because she's from the company? Oh, that's a really good because observation. Because the people they've been sent by the company, you've got Gorman, who they don't really know. Who's, yeah, who's, who's a bit... Who's, like, the wet. guy in charge. No relation to our... Our wonderful producer. producer Chris yeah. Gorman, who knows exactly what he's doing and yeah. gets constantly frustrated by us. He would have more actual live action drops, none simulated. Yeah, he has more than two live action drops for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, um, that sounded dirty. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> and it was. That's a really interesting observation. Yeah. And then the other person they have is Fucking Burke. Fucking Burke. So they have the team and they know each other really well, really clearly. And the three unknowns are Gorman, Burke and Ripley. Mm-hmm. Gorman is... They actually don't know quite at this point how inexperienced he is. But he's he's also one they kind of make a comment about who he's too good to eat with the rest of us. Yeah. So they're not impressed by him. And Burke is just obviously such a sleazebag. Yeah. So I think also just because I really just want to, I want Hex just to be flawless, that I just, the way I prefer to see it is it's not about women. And also, like, they both work with three really strong, competent women. Because mm-hmm. we've got Vasquez, they've got Pharaoh, and they've got the medic, the medic one. Dietrich. Is it Dietrich? I think it's Dietrich, yeah. Because Dietrich's the medic, I think. Pharaoh's the, the, the pilot. The pilot. One. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then Vasquez is, is a grunt basically yeah um yeah so 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 i don't think it's like women can't do things it's people from the company come and they just kind of they make us do a bug hunt they give us busy work when we can't be ours and they don't really understand what it is that we are equipped to do that makes sense so i think the fact that they see ripley also wants to just be useful and that she actually can help them and i think Yes. That's more the, it's like, oh, so you're not one of them. That makes total sense. And actually, what I'm forgetting in this is there's also 57 years of has passed since Ripley was around. They know mm-hmm. absolutely nothing about her. She's probably kind of an, an anomaly. Like, who yeah. is this person? If they have read the briefing notes, even even if they've just skimmed them, they're like, what, who? She's She's been out in space for 57 years. This thing happened. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Like, yeah, there's probably, yeah, a lot of, like, suspicion and confusion around Ripley and who she is so yeah that that, that that does help me with that a little bit because it is sort of like why are you like why are you so surprised and then that I think that is also like when Hicks starts fancier that 
Little little seed planted. <laughs> yeah, because they have that like Apon's like over there, please. Like he's, yeah. he's like one and breath just, away from applauding. Like, the pair of them are just giggling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, he's just very impressed. They're both. They're yeah. They're, they're both, just delighted. Yeah, they're both really happy about it. Yeah, because they're laughing, but there's not really anything unkind about it. It's yeah. just like, well, we didn't think you could do fuck all, but you can. So we look like idiots. Yeah, and I and like it, that. And they own them. it. And actually, y- you've now got me thinking as well. Like they are. Pr- probably feeling a fairly big inconvenience about this whole thing and they don't fully understand why mm-hmm. and Ripley is the catalyst for that inconvenience so actually there is probably a little bit of like we are going on what we think is they call it they reference it being a bug hunt mm-hmm. and I don't think they fully believe what they're out there to do so they've maybe been sent down to worlds different planets before to like check out something a bit shady and a bit spooky yeah, and like nothing comes of it because yeah, Hudson has that like quite frustrated thing where he's like, "Is this a stand-up fight or is it just a bug hunt?" Which does is essentially him being like, "Do we even are we required?" Which is here? actually really interesting because doesn't he actually say, "Aren't the exact words or is this just another bug hunt?" Yeah, so it's actually through the virtue of that line, maybe not in, not fully intentionally, or maybe it was. I don't know how meticulous James Cameron is with this. Probably a little bit would imply that they are not unused to encountering. Because there's. There's a reference that Life the on other planets. the mean lady on the board makes to like we've been on three hundred worlds and not encountered anything like this. Yeah. So it, it's not to say they've not been on worlds and encountered any extra extraterrestrial species whatsoever, yeah. but it could be like smaller, cuter like bugs. a little, yeah, like a little like <laughs> five-legged cat. A five-legged or something. cat. Yeah, something a little, little something a little cuter than a yeah, but like send the marines in just in case it's nasty. Yeah. yeah. And then it's not and then they're just like, well this is just really boring. Yeah. Because yeah, there there is something interesting about the implication that a bug hunt would be boring or run of the mill. Yeah. Is sort of or like a t- a- it's, it sounds like it's something that's tick box, which is weighted yeah. in terms of what we're doing in with world building. If like we're mm-hmm. saying that actually it's not unprecedented to encounter an alien species. But it is the xenomorph is a fucking is a problem. Yeah, it's like uh, like we can't handle that. It's uh, to to come across something that we can't handle that's got acid for blood that yeah has like this super strength that hosts its offspring in humans. Yeah, it's, it's a whole it's a whole friggin' nightmare. Yeah, and you would want to not believe that that was true. Yeah, interesting. I'm sure some real alien fanatics will help us out with some of that because I'm sure there is world building outside yeah. of this movie. And we would thank place. you to to word your responses constructively. We welcome you. feedback. <laughs> we do welcome it because we are not here to get it right all of the time. <laughs> but we will only engage if it is constructive criticism and nice. We don't need compliments. We just need you to not be a dick. Yeah, please um, please don't be mean to us. <laughs> So we get down to LV426. Mm-hmm. They are having a bad weather moment, but it feels like they're always having a bad weather moment down yeah. in LV426. Pissing rain all the time. Yep. So they get out of their main ship into a sort of like... It's like a shuttle. A shuttle. Yeah. And inside the shuttle, there is a further vehicle. Yeah. There's a ground vehicle yeah. that all the Marines are in. So there's like a, it's like a Russian doll of activity happening here. Yeah, it's like a, it's like the Dark Knight Batmobile thing mm-hmm. that we get. But yeah, it has a has it actually doesn't look like it should have that many people in it. But you know, movie it's magic, movie magic. They have the drop, which is is another another nice moment for Hudson, because <laughs> he's he's wanking all over the weapons during yeah. the drop. Yeah, yeah. Every every scene that we have the Marines at any kind of ease is just used for pure characterization in a really nice way. So we've got yeah. Hudson wanking all over the weapons. We found out that this is only Gorman's second live drop. Yeah, because he says something like thirty six. 
38 simulated. Yeah. Second, like two live, including this one. Including this one, yeah. And then like you just sort of see a few of the movies and like, great. oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. And then Hicks is just asleep. Hicks is asleep. <laughs> I know. I love the fact that Hicks is asleep. And I love April. Like, wake up, Hicks. Like, there's just yeah. like so much like color and character texture going on. It's really, really lovely. And yeah, the Hudson bit is like given, like, he's basically waving his dick around. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Which makes everything that happens after this really enjoyable. Yeah, given <laughs> that his the, the the equivalent of his character in Alien was the shrill woman. Yeah, the the shrill woman trope mm-hmm. is given to Bill Paxton in this film, and there's just something really nice about that. It's just very that's a that's a balance that I live I can yeah. live I can live for. I think so, and we mentioned this already. There's a way that Bill Paxton plays it that is just light enough. Mm-hmm. That you are like, yeah, you're a fanny, but you're not like, you're not, you're not going to be a huge problem. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like that sort of like, ugh, it's a, an eye roll rather than like, you need to get to fucking die. It's shit jokes rather than malicious yeah. intent, mm-hmm. which ideally, she says, is the incredibly privileged person. Don't do any of that. <laughs> yeah, generally <laughs> don't. Like- if you can avoid it. But we have him, but he is in the context of these people who know him really well and have spent a ton of time with him, and they don't seem to view him as causing any harm, including Vasquez, to whom most of his like most pointed shit comments are, yeah. are directed. And she is just so in control. Yeah. And, and has so much support from everybody else in the crew they're like she is cool he is not cool yeah so we don't actually so there's there's no basis for us to hate him because it doesn't it doesn't it's not required it's not required yeah and like she doesn't need us to stick up for her because she's fucking fine and it is so funny because the the writing for hudson in this moment feels very pointedly that check it out i am the ultimate badass state of the badass art you do not want to fuck with me Check it out. Hey, Ripley, don't worry. Me and my squad of ultimate badasses will protect you. I think that might be a director's cut because I can't remember that. Really? Oh, it's, yeah. oh, it's great. So we get down to the planet. Everyone's arseholes and elbows. They're ready to go. Yeah. The main Marines that we know go mm-hmm. in and are basically trying to figure out if there's an immediate danger yeah. to this complex and they see signs of specifically the alien acid blood. So they're like, there's obviously been some kind of fight. Mm-hmm. Ripley sees like holes in the floor yeah. from like Hicks's camera and gets him to pan over. So they can see there's there's holes in the floor, at which point fucking Burke fucking is Burke. like, oh, acid, acid for blood. Yeah, he goes, and he Ripley's like, really I meaningfully. fucking know that. Yeah, and he looks at her really meaningfully and says, acid for blood, as if they're pals. And I'm like, yes, Burke, uh-huh, thank you. Glad you're listening. <laughs> so the recon, the, 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 the Marines go in first on a recon. And they go in, they... they basically see there's been a big fight and there's acid blood been sprayed all over the place. Yeah. And no one's around. Like, there's and no one's there. there. There's no yeah. humans. Yeah. And then Garmin's like, okay, must be fine then. And let's go. Right. And Ripley's like, uh, I don't think that's what we've got from this. Yeah. There are holes in the floor and no one is here. I don't think this is secure. There has been a tussle of some kind. So it's all just Gorman like making calls. Very, very dubious calls. And so, yeah, so that's basically where we're at. We, we go in and then I think the next sort of major beat, because they, they are wandering around mm-hmm. and we get the, the signs of the acid and we get various bits that tell us shit went down mm-hmm. and then I think the next sort of major beat is them finding 
the face huggers in the yeah. lab. Um, Two of whom are still alive, importantly. Yeah. Third act guns. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, James Cameron and his little setup payoff. He loves <laughs> yeah. it. He loves it so much. And we get a great line from his and looks like love at first sight to me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I knew it was Hicks. Was it Hicks? It's Hicks kind of says it because Burke, as people do in the future, puts his face right up at it. <laughs> and the little... The probe pro- sucker thing. Yeah, yeah like, goes like, bloop, onto the side of the receptacle. And Hicks is next yeah, to him right, and it says... it is Hicks. And it's like, looks like love at first sight because they just don't like, get along. Yeah. Which it is, feels like such a Hudson line, but you're, you're right. It, it is, is Hicks. It is Hicks. And it's warranted because we hate Burke. We hate Burke, yeah. <laughs> we love Hicks. We love so uh, this is an interesting scene for me because what it looks like or what it implies to me is that they must have gone through a sort of similar process at the colony that happened on the Nostromo where the family who went out to the coordinates came back there was a face hugger on the dad and they must have gone through like there's been more quarantining process or not a quarantine process actually from the looks of things nobody got quarantined well we see there's like tons of dead ones yeah and there's two live ones and then Bishop picks up whatever the log was and deduces from that that they've removed two live ones the subject died and the subject died yeah so they killed him taking it off which is kind of what we thought from alien when ash says we can't take this off of kane because it might kill him Mm -hmm. so that actually was correct and so we know from that that okay well that's just like another way that we're fucked i'm assuming what happened here again this is just me (laughs) filling in the blanks for myself because in the director's cut when we see the kids and the family the family they go out because basically mm-hmm. what happens is when we meet Newt later on which is the little girl in the movie mm-hmm. in the director's cut Newt and her family are the ones that go out to the right. space jockey initially so what I'm assuming happens is and mum and dad come back with the dad's got the face hugger on his face the mum is radioing for backup she's basically on the, the walkie talkie thing in, in their little vehicle saying we need help so I am assuming that maybe pe- more people came out and, and, and did what people in the future did and got real cosy with those eggs so more people got them on their face. People just love putting their face in things. They really do. Because I feel like it's sort of interesting to me that there are several of these things in this It lab. must have happened to a lot of people. Yeah. And also like just there were so many more people. Yeah. So it's like, you know, being people who are living through a panic D. Yep. More people means more shite. Yeah. And also there's something interesting to flag at this point that the shadowy corporation of Wayland yutani and its methods and agenda. They obviously mm. didn't furnish the colony with n- enough information to be careful. Yeah, and they've obviously... They knew that there was an organism on that planet because Mother had those instructions in the first one to bring the organism back. They did. Right, so they knew about the distress call. Ash must have told them about the organism. Somebody knew something 57 years ago, but then yeah. the Nostromi got blown up and yeah. the only person remaining is Ripley and the mm-hmm. records on the uh, her escape shuttle. Mm-hmm. It's arguable that maybe the information they might from have 57 years ago was patchy. They'll have the emails between whatever they have yeah. in the Nostromi. Someone's got oh, an email chain somewhere. Also, I did look up. I was a bit upset about the fact that last time we talked about Wi-Fi coming from pylons and that we didn't have a clue so I did actually look it up oh great and you can get internet in space but it's very slow it's slow akin to dial up so very slow so you're better to communicate with astronauts by email rather than like what I always prefer an email yeah don't phone me no facetimes please for Louise she does not like them (laughs) I don't so actually I actually don't think our pylons comment was particularly out there it's but it's through satellites but which obviously bounce off the earth's wi-fi pylons (laughs) there we go I still don't know where Wi-Fi comes from on Earth. 
we'll get there uh, in space it comes from satellites so if you're 10 months away in space you probably aren't getting the satellites so yeah there is no wi-fi great and then 57 years and there might be more satellites i guess between earth and now but i don't imagine that the internet is great therefore actually like the whole thing but like where all the screens are still black with the green writing is probably mm-hmm. might actually still be the case and by the time we get around to terminator and talking about Skynet, maybe we'll really do a deep dive on where Wi-Fi comes from, but we'll save that for another. <laughs> Only if it's interesting. <laughs> Which I suspect it might not be. Yeah, if you find it interesting and are angry with us for not, please do not tweet us. <laughs> I'm feeling punchy. Tweet us if you like. <laughs> <laughs> tweet at She's Podcasting. Jackie know. doesn't want you to tweet her. I don't her. want your aggro she, noise. No, she doesn't want it. She's got, she's got shit to do. Um, I will take it personally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so where did we get to? So yeah, we've established that things have gone awry. Gone awry. We've seen the facehuggers in the lab. Hicks has been noising up Burke in a delightful way. That's round about the point. So they're in the lab and then somebody, either Frost or Hudson, I think, sees that there's something moving towards them on their little, little radar Little, re- little beep beep radars. Which turns out to be Newt, who's yeah. a wee girl who has seen some stuff and has been hiding from the aliens for some time at this point. Long story short, they get her, they bring her back to yeah. the shuttle and eventually she she tells Ripley that everybody's dead. Her whole family's dead. Mm-hmm. So we now have a situation which is just worth noting that the only people who, at this stage who've seen a xenomorph are Ripley and Newt. Which is very important because mm-hmm. this whole... They're, and they're both in the throes of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Ripley has lost her daughter because mm-hmm. that grief is very real. That's, yeah. That is like... She's woken up... Technically, it's 57 years later, but it's not 57 years later to Ripley. Yeah. So she is grieving the loss of her daughter as she remembers her as a little girl, mm-hmm. which what is what Newt is. Yeah, and Newt has lost her parents. Yes. Uh, Newt's name is actually Rebecca, but nobody mm-hmm. calls me Rebecca, apart from my brother. What is Newt's accent? I don't know. <laughs> I have been wondering that. It's like... Colonist. It's colonist. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. It really is colonist. It's quite literally. It's uh, generic yeah. white. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with little hints of RP when she can be bothered. Yeah, because when she has her line, the, the very iconic line, they mostly come at night. Mostly. Mostly. Like, what, what, where are you from? Yeah, so... I'm from Rad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yes, this is very key, very important because there's a bond happening immediately yeah. uh, between the two of them. Yeah, they're both filling a void for mm-hmm. each other really at this, at this point. And um, Ripley also kind of gets that from her, from being quite maternal with her. And I guess like if you're just watching the theatrical cut, you're just taking that from... Cynically, maybe Ripley is a woman and also maybe like Ripley is a civilian, so she's not got that kind of marine hardness that everybody else has and she's not a corporate sleazeball and she's yeah. not fucking Gorman. Um, yeah. Not you, Chris. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a sort of established she's sort of maybe quite specialist in what she did prior to this moment, mm-hmm. but it was for a very specific purpose. It was the mining. It was, it was. I think she was like kind of probably blue collar in her own way yeah. before, but maybe maybe sort of like that kind of like I think it's slightly it's, slightly elevated. Maybe like not elevated. That's the wrong word, but like a sort of more middle classy. Like it was a, maybe a skilled job. Yeah. In her time. I think it's interesting that she asks about her daughter and doesn't ask about Amanda's father. Yeah. At any point. It doesn't seem important in the in the sort of overarching story that is about to be told. Mm. It feels like it's it feels like it's there to serve the purpose 
of the movie later rather yeah, than actually. Which is interesting that they've cut it out in that point. Yeah. And the only other thing that we know that Ripley cares about is Jones and her job. Yeah. Neither of which she has at this point. Um, yes. Right. So Newt is very important. And she's been surviving for a very long time, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's actually unclear how much time. Maybe weeks? I'm not sure. It must, well, it must be a good while because they've travelled from wherever they are to this planet. And they're yeah. and long enough to be in stasis. So it's not like, oh, well, it's just... If it was a few days, you wouldn't think they would put them in that kind of sleep. Yeah, it's really hard to tell how long it's been. Because there's still, like, the way that the, the colony setup is... It feels like it's not, it's not been, like... It's, it's certainly not been years, obviously, because Newt is also still a little girl, which she yeah. is when you see her earlier in the movie in the director's cut. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to go with maybe months. Maybe a few Yeah, months. it's maybe not the ten months that... In Alien, we know that Nostromo is away from Earth, but also that could be affected by the fact that technology has moved on in the last 57 years and maybe you can move faster. So we yeah. don't know. I'm sure thing. Xenopedia knows. Probably. We don't We don't know. We don't Jackie know. and Lou don't have a clue. Jackie and Lou don't have a clue. Yeah. It's been a while, though. Yeah. <laughs> it has been a while. <laughs> That's all we have. Um, but Newt's doing okay. I think she's maybe surviving on cup noodles and, I don't know, sheer will. Yeah. Hiding in a vent. She's hiding the vents, basically. She's using the, the ventilation system to both travel and sort of hide herself. Yeah. Which, again, James Cameron set up and pay off. Mm-hmm. Uh, will become relevant later. Yeah. Yeah, so we get Newt. And then I think we get my, one of my favourite lines in the whole movie, which is, stop your grinning and drop your linen. Or is it drop your linen and stop your grinning? I think it's... Which I, think it's the, I think it was the former. Yeah. From from Hudson because he picks up the fact that uh, oh, everybody's got these implants that um, we've obviously had since our COVID nineteen vaccines, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so the government can tell where we are at all times. <laughs> Note: I don't think that <laughs> <laughs> I was being glib. <laughs> I love it when you're glib. So Hudson has found the colonists. Yeah. And they seem to be having a town hall meeting. They're all together. And all place. together, just having a nice time ignoring their child. Yeah. Who's still These swimming around. Jingied Newt. Nobody <laughs> told Newt that they were all going out. Newt did not get the memo about this town meeting. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, they must be fine. Let's go find them. So they do. And again, I think Ripley, Gorman and Burke are in the shuttle. The Marines all go in. When they get close, Ripley realises that they're near like a reactor. So if any Anybody fires a bullet, it could cause a nuclear disaster, mm-hmm. um, and everybody would be killed. So Gorman orders Apone to take everybody's clips away, all yeah. their ammo away. Uh, of course, Vasquez has obviously learned from her previous lives on the Titanic and in Los Angeles to not trust everything the authorities tell you. So she gives away her current clip, but has two other clips stored down her bra, which she gives one one of which to Drake. Mm-hmm. And keeps one herself, and that and that's fine, and that that comes to fruition later. So they're told to use flames only, and we do know from Alien that flames work mm-hmm. somewhat on the alien. The whole flamethrower thing became such a big deal after this movie. Like the flamethrower mm. was used in Alien a little bit, but now it's like it's a big deal. The flamethrower and Alien are now synonymous. Like, yeah, <laughs> they're like go hand in hand. And it's the way that she also likes the there's there's a really specific clip that you see of Vasquez and Drake holding their flamethrowers that's very phallic. Mm. It's very, look at what a 
big flamethrower I have. Well, the, like the weapons and the way they're framed in this whole movie has that. Like you see Drake and Vasquez do the kind of like it's almost like holding a... them and they move them and then they bring them up. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very majorette. Yeah, so they are trying to find the colonists. Mm-hmm. With no ammo. With no ammo. And shit looks weird. Things are weird. It's all getting a bit HR giger. And it's very warm. Yeah. And, uh... and it's a dry heat. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think we, we cut back to uh, Gorman and Burke and Ripley back on the shuttle and, and Ripley is on high alert. Yeah. Not high enough alert for me. I feel like I would have been like, no, 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 I've seen this before. They're probably in the walls. Yes. You need to get out of there. You guys obviously watched the theatrical cut of Alien, <gasps> not the director's cut. Yeah. There's some cocooning happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, for me, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is, this is theatrical release yeah, Ripley direct, right now. Director's release Ripley would know that there was cocooning happening. <laughs> She'd be like, guys. That would be burned into her brain. Back the fuck away, <laughs> yeah. She would have known that before they went anywhere. But for the sake of... For the sake of argument, she doesn't know that. This is great, actually, because we get the build-up of what's going on, and the audience, if you've seen Alien, you... Well, actually, only if you've seen, like, yeah, the director's cut. Actually, that's a really good point, because the audience, the cinema-going audience, won't know this, that actually that they are in the walls, and mm-hmm. um, and we get uh, we get the kind of, like, I can see things on my little blippy-blippy radar gun thing, but yeah. where are they? What's going on? I think this is the point where Hudson starts to have a real moment to himself. Yeah, really. Hudson starts to be at an 11. But we also see Dietrich finds the woman... In the and she kind of lifts up her head, yes, and, the and her eyes, eyes snap, snap open, open. Yeah. yeah, and she says, "Kill me," and then an alien starts to come out of her, yeah. and so that's kind of like when Ripley's story is officially corroborated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shit gets real horrible real fast, and I think. Um, well, that's the kind of catalyst because they flamethrower the woman with the baby alien, mm-hmm. and that alerts the xenomorphs in the vents. That's right, and we hear the hissing. The... Yeah, and we can hear yeah. them like, yeah, we don't see them yet, but it feels like that hissing feels like it's all around, and it's just like... Well, it oh, goes up no. into the vents, you start to see them wake up and yeah. like start crawling towards, which is, it's an hour into the film, possibly several hours into the podcast, <laughs> and this is the first alien we've seen. Yeah. Which I like, by the way. Yeah. I'm here for that. Absolutely. I, I'm here for that slow build. It's, and it's, it completely matches with Alien. Actually, I think it's kind of nice that what James Cameron has done with this is he's taken something that, from a cinematic release point of view, from the first one that nobody saw, and then actually put it in this one, which is the whole kill me thing, because we don't get that if you're watching the, the yeah. cinematic release. So it's like, that's an inspiration release. from what Dallas is saying in the deleted scenes in Alien. Mm-hmm. that they don't necessarily know at this stage in 1986 are going to be seen by people. Yeah. It's not a happy time for the Marines for the next Very stressful. 20 minutes. We off a bunch. We say off. goodbye to... All the ones whose names we don't know apart from Frost. Apart from Frost, yeah. So we say goodbye because some, some folks had to die and that's just the way that the cookie crumbles. Yeah. The, our red shirts, they get... Yep. It's the, ex- the red shirts exeunt. <laughs> Pursued by Xenomorph. <laughs> uh, see, we can be highbrow too. <laughs> Dragged by Xenomorph. <laughs> and I think also at this point, shit gets, it just gets very chaotic very quickly because the Xenomorphs, 
they come out of the walls, they emerge, yeah. everyone's getting like picked up and eaten and thrown and oh, it's chaos. And it's very deliberately like that the cuts are between like what Ripley, Gorman and Burke are seeing mm-hmm. versus being there. So it's like very chaotic and you're not yeah. clear, you can't really get a clear image on what's going on. So it gets very intense. And then Vasquez and Drake are like, fuck this noise. Yeah. <laughs> Let's rock! Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm grateful to both of them for, for that because actually it was needed. Yeah, it was worth the risk. Yeah. Are we then at the point... I know we're skipping, we're probably skipping over some key bits that people enjoy, but we, we so, must move on. So that at that point, Ripley is like, Gorman, pull your team out. And, well, she actually said that ages ago, but now he does. So they're all, they run back, they get back to the shuttle, and a xenomorph gets his little face in there, mm-hmm. and they kick him out. Gorman's been a fucking... He's just not performing well under pressure, no. basically. And she goes, fuck this. You know what, Gorman? You handle your shit. Newt, seatbelt on. Here we go. We're going to go get the lads. We're going to go get the lads. Yeah, um, we're gonna that go is pick what them she up. does. Their Uber has not arrived. We're going to go get them. Yes. Your Uber is on its way. <laughs> and Yeah, and that's right. And they get in. And then that's when we lose Drake. Oh, I always hate that bit. I really, I always, do you know, I've seen this movie so many times. And actually losing Drake kind of always comes as a surprise. It's horrible because way. he's great. Yeah. Like, he's he's a, a character that I got really attached to on these last couple of rewatches. And it's just it's so early as well. I know I know yeah. I know technically we're an hour into the movie, but it still feels like I want him around for a bit longer. He's just so great. Yeah. Everybody needs a hype man. I guess it's there to give us more of Vasquez because Vasquez is like she's ready she like she it's ride or die. She's ready to like It's the first time we've seen Vasquez break. She hasn't yeah. bro- she hasn't broken the, this whole time, including when the aliens are upon them in the nest. Like she's kind of like well, okay, it's time to shoot things. Let's do that, Drake. Yeah. Let's do that, buddy. And they do that, and that's what they do. That's their thing. So at this point, she has not been freaked out, scared, upset mm-hmm. until he, like, shoots one of the xenomorphs and um, yes. it bleeds on him and yeah. so his face gets sprayed with acid. It's really awful. And it's really awful. And he's just kind of gone. Very gone. Like, it's yeah. very much like, that's it. Like, because it's sprayed on him in a way that's like, you're not coming back it's from just, that. It's just, it's, yeah, you're not dead this second, but you're going to be you're dead really be dead. soon. Yeah. And Hicks is like pulling on her, saying he's gone, we yeah. have to go. And she's saying, no, he's going to come back. And like, because he is, from what we know from the backstory. Oh, are you going to cry? He's her family. <laughs> yeah, it's ride or die. Yeah, it's like, and she's ready to die. And yeah, it's really, it's tough stuff. And um, testament to the fact that, that enough time was spent to just draw these marine characters out a little Given bit. Given Drake probably has about five lines. Yeah, like he's, he's made an impact. <laughs> <laughs> it just shows what a great film this is. It's a great film. I'm so excited. And then we get that fantastic scene where they're get, like, Ripley has driven the vehicle into into the nest, basically. Yeah. It was like, I'm here to pick you up, get in the fucking car. Yeah. So all of this takes place. Get in, loser. Yeah. <laughs> We're going shopping. We're going shopping. Uh, for flamethrowers. Um, and uh, we get that xenomorph moment where everyone's in and the doors in the vehicle are closing and then the claws come round. Yeah. And that and we get that sound effect, that kind of ka Yeah. And the face. The face is like, ah! Xenomorph okay. tries to get in. Xenomorph tries to get in. Into the shuttle. Gorman's concussed because we don't need him. Fine. Yeah. And then we get Hicks telling Ripley to ease down, Mm -hmm. which I think is, I just think, I don't know if I've just read too much into this romance, but I've paid attention to it. You really like this moment, don't you? Yeah. Well, it's just (laughs) that I think that he's the person who can tell Ripley what she needs to do that she can trust. 
Yeah. And there is a trust between them that I think is really important and really sweet. And this is one of the points where we see the fact that she trusts him. Mm-hmm. Because I think we kind of, there's a little bit of inference before the scene that he trusts her. Like, she, he's listening to her brief and he's just delighted when she can work the loader thing. But it's also, there's there's a mutual respect. Mm-hmm. One of my theses for this film is that Hicks is both the love interest we all deserve and he's also the love interest that we all deserve to be. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because the whole ease down moment, it is very, it's, um, he's not yelling at her. He's like, he's like, he's using very calming, very soothing mm-hmm. words and tone. It's like, it's okay, it's okay. But We're he also understands, he understands because he has listened to her properly, why she has the compulsion to just like pedal Keep to the going. metal, yeah. fuck off out of there. Yeah. And it comes up a lot, and it comes up a lot when he is taken over command, and this is jumping ahead slightly, but there's he has a focus on the well-being and safety of his team because there's a point when he says to Vasquez and Hudson, we're really strung out, but we need to stay alert. Mm-hmm. And there are also several points when he checks in with Ripley saying, how are you doing? Yeah. Which are not, and it's just so important in a manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also not necessarily that common in a 1980s to early 1990s marine as depicted on screen yes and i think it's quite special it is quite special uh so big fuck you to the people who made alien 3 by the way fuck you (laughs) she made she made yeah i refuse to (laughs) refuse it i fucking refuse the whole thing so yes things have gone horribly wrong as Ripley could have probably told them yeah. that they would could not have gone worse yeah <laughs> could not have gone worse <laughs> Ripley's like about what I expected yep uh, thank you for bringing thank you for letting me be a part of this yep <laughs> tracks <laughs> and um Gorman's out for the count they're all mad at Gorman Vasquez is ready to just get him mm-hmm so then the next plan, they think they have 17 days before someone notices them, so it's like, hunk, let's just hunker down and seal ourselves in. Well, no, wait, wait, wait. There's a, isn't there an argument about chain of command and blowing... Yes! Blowing everything up yes. and getting the hell off the planet. There is. It's like a, what should we do now? Ripley says... This is important. Ripley says, I think we should get out of here and nuke the, the only place. way to be sure. Yeah, the only uh, way to be sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised this wasn't, like, at the forefront of your mind because, you know, this is a moment. It's such Look a good moment. Face. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the reason she doesn't take notes is because she just knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for bringing it back from shade to love. <laughs> I need notes. Not everybody needs notes. <laughs> well, listen, it surprises me that you forgot about this just because of the gusher you Okay, I'm a shit it. feminist. Fuck you. <laughs> Not fuck you. Fuck. <laughs> fuck myself. It's, it's, oh, my. <laughs> It's because it's such a it's such a fucking basement flooding moment. From, it is. From, oh, it really it. is. Because it's like chain of command chat. Burke is being ugh. Like yeah. he's giving it the whole like these people can't be in charge. No offense. Like you're a grunt, Hicks. What do you know? That's right. Yeah. That's right. He was all bad mouthing your honey. So I don't really understand why you're. Not I didn't, like... and I watched it this morning, and I was equally annoyed. I'm sorry. I was just. I don't know what's going to me. <laughs> So Hicks is like, there's a bit of an argument. Burke is trying to insinuate 
himself into being in charge as the company man uh-huh. and Ripley being the total pro that she is is like well technically the chain of command this is a military operation where we are at now means that Hicks is in charge yeah. isn't that right Corporal or Captain or Captain I don't know if she uses a sexy word yeah and he's like yeah yeah it is but you Which know is... like and he doesn't look like and that's another reason why we love him I'm not trying you to did... overcompensate for forgetting about this scene before you start with no me. no I was not gonna start <laughs> I was not gonna start but he doesn't seem to be taking a lot of pleasure in the power no, of it he he's doesn't he's just not happy about it heavy, heavy is the head that wears the crown he's taking it like a real man and I I love it he's <laughs> He's like, can you tell we finished the champagne? (laughs) He's not happy about it, but he's like, that is right. Ripley is a pro. She understands the chain of command and she is correct. That technically is true, but it's the impression that it's the first it's occurred to him that he's in charge. Yeah. Um, Because Apone is dead and Gorman's out of commission. And he's just like, yep, that, that is correct. And then it's like, okay, well, what will we do? And he's, he says... Well, she says yeah, right. she has posited what she thinks that should, they should do yeah. is that nuke the planet from orbit and get the fuck out of Dodge. And then Burke has his like, oh, but no, no, we can't. Oh, but did you have the money? The money. Yeah. This colony is so expensive. Like your colony's dead. And then he gets slapped down, and chain of command is established. And then he says the thing about but Hicks he, is a grunt. Then he says that. Yeah, he's like no offense. No offense. Like, and Hicks is like none taken. But also we learn later offense taken. Offense. <laughs> Rightly taken. <laughs> because he <laughs> refers back to it. He's clothing. He does. He stored that. He yeah. stored it. He <laughs> filed. <laughs> filed. He neither forgave nor forgot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so then he's just like, okay, so you're in charge. What do you think we should do? And he just repeats back word for word what Ripley said and splosh. Yeah. So they crack on with that plan. <laughs> Happy day. Well, not the fucking. The with their, sex- <laughs> their sexy, sexy, mutually respectful plan. <laughs> There's lots of consent with this plan. There's lots of communication in this plan. Mm -hmm. There's lots of, like, attentiveness in this plan. What is not to like like. with this plan? This is a great plan. Uh, (laughs) So they move forward with the plan. So I guess, like, Ripley's taking the car... Uh-huh. to come and get them, come pick them up. So maybe the shuttles come to get the car because the car is kind of out of commission at that point. Yeah. Because Ripley and she's, drove she's the fuck out of drove it. it. Yeah, drove it away, yeah. Um, so the shuttles, that's probably just the fastest way for the shuttles to travel, but the Xenomorph's on it somehow. Somehow. Must have ran over there. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Is that fair? <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, it's just, like, galloped over there and, like, somehow secreted itself in into... The I, I don't know what... That's what happens. We know they do this. We don't know how they do this, but we know they do this. Yeah. So it's fine. Twitter just don't, okay? <laughs> do you know what? Twitter probably will agree with us that this is technically a wee tiny, tiny bit of a plot hole in the sense that the Xenomorphs could just, like, find... They just they just are. They just are places. Maybe it's just, like, they start to set fire to the bits in the nest and they're just like, oh, shit, lads. Run to the, the nearest, Marines are here. nearest vehicle. Everybody spread out and see if you can find any vehicles. Right, yeah, that, that, let's go with that. <laughs> that's my, yeah. that's my um, theory. So the shuttle crashes, oh, most importantly. That's the only thing that really matters about that whole like, yeah, last like yeah. three-hour diatribe. But that might get cut out because, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So the shuttle crashes. Hudson goes, goes from, from an 11 to a 12. And that's when we get the very meme-worthy... 
Game over, man. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Yeah, some uh, of Bill Paxton's finest work. It is. He does very well. And then this is the point where we get the iconic line from Newt. We better get back, because it'll be dark soon, and they mostly come at night. Mostly. And it's a beautiful scene, because actually it's they're standing there, Ripley and Newt, kind of like mother-daughter, that's mm -hmm. the sort of framing. Yeah. The wind is blowing, the sun, what, what I guess is ostensibly the sun on this planet is going down. It's a very like November Glaswegian sun. Yeah, it's not, it's very it's not its best work. It's not, a, yeah. <laughs> and I love that, I do love that iconic line because there's something about the way that Newt says it and the way she's handling herself that she's very a proto-Ripley because she's like, she's like, yeah, it tracks that that happened. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're past Newt's meltdowns. She's yeah. had them all. Yeah, she's like, of course, it crashed. Of course it crashed. Well, because we get that when we first meet Newt as well. Like that's a whole th that's actually a whole thing we kind of missed out when Newt and Ripley have like their first chat and Ripley's trying to convince her that she's safe on board the ship with all of these marines with their guns and Newt says it won't make any difference. Yeah. And Ripley's saying all of these like platitudes which Ripley knows are platitudes like Newt's reservations are Ripley's reservations because they're the only people who know what they're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so they're both the people who are dealing with this the best because this is kind of what they expected was going to happen deep down. Yeah. So this is really where Ripley kind of unofficially takes command mm -hmm. and, and, and Hicks and their sort of, well, joint command relationship kind of gets established from this point forward. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, now it's like, well, fuck, we need to get back inside. We need to figure out what plan B is. And yeah, they very they become mum and dad. They do become mum and dad. <laughs> they really do. And um, and it's not a great time from this point forward either, because like they basically have to they get themselves back inside and mm -hmm. they kind of lock themselves in. You mentioned it earlier. They kind of like secure off, yeah, bring down the whatever those are, the metal shades. Get themselves. Yeah, close the blinds. Get them to close the blinds. <laughs> that helps. It does help. <laughs> and um. The other spanner in the works that Bishop has discovered is that the central heating's on the blink or something. Yeah, so they thought they had 17 days before they were noticed missing and someone come and got them. Mm -hmm. But actually, something the central heat, the boiler's going to explode. <laughs> the boiler's on the blink. Nobody can get a hold of the landlord. It's like, fuck. Yeah. So we've got Bishop, who thankfully did a module in... <laughs> Heating systems. Yeah, he went to a tech college and is like, yeah, no, I did, I did that. I got a, an HND in this. That's fine. I can do this. Not to shit on people with that qualification. No, no, that's, that's like very, a very, very useful qualification. Yeah, very like, of us. He knows what he's doing. Like he's the yeah. one with the skills. He's like, I have a legitimate qualification. No, I I'm the only person here the qualified to fix the boiler. Yeah. Um, let me go through, and he doesn't want like, to because he's an artificial person. He's not stupid. Yeah, and I love that line. Like, I'd really rather not, but I'm going to do but it. But this is basically yeah. the choice that we have. And we we establish that the timing is quite quickly. It's, the timing is quite tight because he has to go down this wee pipe, which is going to take him 40 minutes. It's going to take him 30 minutes to do something, 30 minutes to do something else, 50 minutes back. It's going to be tight because the yeah. thing's going to blow up in four hours. Yeah. And so they pack him into this wee pipe. There's also a really cute thing that I noticed this morning that I hadn't noticed before. Is it a bit of business with the gun? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're like, so Ripley and Vasquez are on either side of him, packing yeah. him into this pipe so he can crawl about. And 
he's getting his tools and Vasquez like loads and passes him a gun and he kind of looks at it. it and just like passes <laughs> it to Ripley. Ripley. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's such a beautiful bit of business. It's so good that I almost hope it wasn't actually written in and that the actors just did it. Yeah. Because it's so smooth and so cute. And so brilliantly character-led. It's great stuff. This is exactly what all three of those people would do. Yeah. it's. All, I mean, this whole scene is a, a callback to Alien with Dallas and the ventilation shafts. Yeah. But it's even more claustrophobic because they seal him in. Like, the, yeah. the, the act of sealing him in just makes me feel a bit queasy. Yeah. And I know he's not a human, but we've also got... We also the, know that he does, it doesn't mean he doesn't feel fear. Exactly, yeah. He's yeah. And, and when he's crawling through, you get all of that nervous energy that he's like, OK, here we go. Yeah. And and the the thing about the timing as well, because they tell you it's going to take him 45 minutes to shuffle from point A to point B, when they seal it up like that, my thought is that you are now in there for 45 minutes. And it, it, oh, yeah. it gives me the book. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and fair enough, you don't want to be in there for 45 minutes with a xenomorph after you. Certainly not. But it's not... But you do hope... My, my assumption with Bishop is um, that the xenomorphs would probably ignore him because they probably can't implant their eggs into him. Yeah. Or they probably wouldn't ignore them. They'd tear him apart. Or Yeah, they probably would still attack him, but he's not going to run the risk of, of being important to them in that way. Yeah. Bishop's off to do his job in a very excellent way. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you, Bishop. So in between... Like, we've got a little quiet bit now... Mm -hmm. between the next like xenomorph as yeah and we've got some good burke stuff and we also have some very good hicks stuff mm. so we'll go with the burke stuff first which is a little bit more gaslighting from burke where ripley has gone and looked at the audit trail and discovered that burke this is very sent... rarely a moment in these movies where you can't go back to an audit trail <laughs> audit trails are important they're very important <laughs> For this reason. Yeah. Audit's exciting, you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this one is a doozy. <laughs> it's a doozy. So Ripley's gone back in the records and found that Burke is the one that sent the colonists to go and find the xenomorphs. For didn't warn very them. mercenary, capitalist, money-making mm. reasons. He's like, he's done this because he's like, oh, hang on a fucking second here. Maybe yeah. there's something, maybe I can win out of this. Yeah, maybe I can make some money out of this. And the way he tries to win Ripley round is basically like, if you come on side, we're both made for life. That and line, I thought you were smarter than this. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to disappoint you. Oh, it's good, it's good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and they both do exactly what we need them to do, and he's the worst... The next beat is when Hicks gives her the We Find My Friends guy <laughs> at some point. Yeah, yeah, he gives her the watch. Yeah. The, the, the Apple watch. Then I can find you at all times. Yeah. Which is adorable. And then she's like, oh, thanks. And he's like, well, it doesn't mean we're engaged or nothing. And she does. She gives, like, the cutest smile. Like, are you sure? Are you sure it doesn't she's mean like, gives this, like, and it's a, it's not a smile we see from her at any point, I think, at least in the first two films, because I haven't seen the other ones that much, but mm -hmm. she just is, it's that kind of like, look at your shoes. Oh my God, he's so hot. He's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> it's like, he just gave me his varsity jacket. Yeah, and <laughs> it is. And it's like, and that's fine, because this is just, it's, it's one of the several dimensions that her character has, and it's an important one mm -hmm. that we're all allowed to have, and she's just absolutely delighted. And she ends up giving it to Newt, because then, she can yeah. she knows where Newt is but it's also just a really sweet thing because it's like an indication that Hicks cares where she is and 
about her. Mm-hmm. And then we also have the beat where he is showing her how to use a gun. Mm-hmm. So he's like, and the point of that scene is that he is actually acknowledging that she is reliving her past trauma and that is understandably super upsetting and stressful. And here is a way that I deal with fear, which is this cool gun I have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I and have I, a cool gun for, yeah. that I would like to show you. And I'm not a gun gal, but in this instance, I think I would be. Uh, uh, yeah, I think we would all become gun gals very quickly <laughs> in this I mean, environment. I, I'm talking about safety. I don't know what Louise is talking about. I <laughs> I do, and I also do. very literal. <laughs> yes, it, she's not. She's being figurative. She was just moving her glasses up and down in the suggestive I'm manner. talking about dick. No. <laughs> It's very, it's a sexy, sexy scene. It's really sexy. It shows her to use a gun in the way that we've shown, I think, many scenes where men show other men or women how to use a golf club. And it's that vibe and it's fine and it's great and I love it. And then she learns all of that because of course she does. And also, I think it's really nice that he's not trying to be like, oh, don't worry, I'll protect you. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I will show you how to protect yourself because he understands that that is what she would prefer. Yes. And that is also what he likes about her because they're equal. And I think that's really nice. And then he finishes showing her how to use the gun portion of the gun. And she's like, well, what's this? And he says, that's the grenade launcher. You don't need that. And she's like, well, you know, in I for mean, a penny, in, in for fairness. a pound. <laughs> yeah. And then she says something like, well, I can look after myself. And he just does this like little nod. And yeah. like, uh, I've noticed. It's too much. It's too and much. It's so good. Yeah, because she's like, show me. Fucking show me the grenade launcher, bitch. Let's, let's keep going. And he's just like yes you're the woman of my dreams um the other big beat in this whole section of the movie is the newt scene which is another really soft side of ripley so we get mm-hmm. we get her stuff with hicks and that shows a side of her we haven't seen yet yeah um the woman oh my god and then we get <laughs> We get more of the mother side yeah. of her with the stuff with Newt. And it's a great scene uh, on a number of levels. I, I, I love the way it's shot. I love how warm it is. I love that mm-hmm. she turns on this kind of like little very fire hazardy looking electric fire thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it makes it all red and warm and womb-like. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to comfort Newt. And they have this really lovely exchange where Newt is saying, you know, grown-ups always say there aren't any monsters, but there are. Mm-hmm. The way that Ripley handles that is wonderful because she kind of goes, yep, yeah, there are. And I love the, why do they say that if it's not true? And Ripley says, because most of the time it is. Yeah. And I love it. And then it's balanced really beautifully by, you know, trying to help Newt sleep because she has bad dreams, which is something that she shares with Ripley. And then she talks yeah. about her little doll head saying, yeah. well, she doesn't have bad dreams, does she? And, and Newt says, that's because she's a piece of plastic. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And we get a really genuine laugh out of Ripley at that moment. And uh, and an apology. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. It's really lovely. It's yeah. really, it's, it's like, it's perfect parenting. Actually. Yeah, it's good because it's kind of like, oh, I was talking down to you and then it leads to the whole monsters thing that is like, well, I'm not going to lie to you. You know Mm -hmm. what's happening. And then there's... And the respect for Newt from Ripley is... I I mean, it's inherent throughout the whole film, but there's the thing where, like, post being emasculated by how badass Vasquez is, there's the line about Hudson's basically, we're not going to last 17 hours. And Ripley says, well, this little girl has lasted longer than that with no weapons and no training. Affirmative. (laughs) Affirmative with a little salute. And then there's also the bit where they're looking at... um, 
basically how they can secure themselves into the place. And they're all looking at the plans. So I think it's like Hudson, maybe Gorman, Ripley and Hicks are looking at these plans. Yeah, yeah. And Newt is kind of peeking up. Yeah. And Hicks picks her up. Yes, I And puts her on the it's thing. So cute. And she, I think she's got a helmet on at this point yeah. as well. Like, I was like, actually, like... as much as I think Hicks is just a <sighs> sweetie... <laughs> <laughs> and you know wants her to feel included yeah. but there's all i think there's also points like we know that hicks respects women and their experiences and it's probably like well you you live here yeah like you've been literally living in the shafts and the ventilation yes. systems that this blueprint is like showing yeah. us so yeah. by all means look with us yeah it's so cute i'd forgotten about that it is so cute all the sweet things and then when they're counting all their ammo and she goes to touch something and he's like a little bit he's like don't touch that and then he's like it's dangerous honey oh, he's such a good father <laughs> I forgot about that too. I forgot the scenes where they show new actually helping. Yeah. And um, that's really cute as well. And Hudson actually starts to come into his own a little bit as well. I actually really like that Hudson and Newt have a little moment later on in the movie when... Because uh, the other big beat is it, it becomes apparent that Burke has locked Newt and Ripley in Yes. The- whatever like, space like a medical, is, bay, or medical bay that they're, yeah. they're using ostensibly is Newt's bedroom yeah. and he's locked them in there with a face hugger because he's two decided face two face huggers because yeah. he's decided that well I'm gonna that's how he's gonna sneak he's gonna the embryos them. in yeah Newt and Hudson have a wee moment when when the rescue mode has been engaged and they're there she shouts after him and he's like whoa get out of the way kid and they have this whole like kind of like little exchange and I know that it's very small, but I do like it. I like that it's There's there. There's respect established. Yeah. That's, for the scaredy cat listeners, that is the scene that will make you the most upset. Yeah. I know from personal experiences that it's the most stressful. Like, they kind of have a plan. It's in place. Ripley goes to fall asleep with Newt, who's decided, like, I'm not sleeping on the stretcher. I'm sleeping on the floor. That's safer. Mm-hmm. Ripley goes and curls up beside her and then realises a few hours later that something's happened and they're not alone in the room and the facehuggers are coming at them and it's very stressful. It's very stressful. Because also what Burke has done, it's because it's established when Ripley is trying to get Newt to calm enough to go to sleep, she points out, again, James Cameron, set up payoff, mm-hmm. she points out that the camera That's is right. there. And she's like, I will watch you through there. I can see you. I'm just in the next room. Yeah, I can tell if you're safe. And in the intervening time when Burke has been... Burke's been sussed out for who he is. The cunt that he is. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Sorry if nobody likes the C-bomb. <laughs> I know we have some American listeners. <laughs> Maybe they don't like that. But he is a cunt. Come on, guys. Get on board. We don't mean it in the Glaswegian endearment no, way. No, no. He is... <laughs> yeah, he's a bad, bad man. And that gets established and his motives get established. And there's this moment where Ripley and Newt have worked out that they're locked in this bay, this medical bay space with these facehuggers. And they're trying to get uh, Hicks's attention on the camera. Yeah. And Burke turns it off. Oh, he does. Cause he is the worst. He's the worst. And then, but you know, true to form, Ripley thinking on her feet, she sets off the sprinkler system. With her uh, lighter, this is why everyone smokes in the future, because it was important that Ripley need, had, had a, a lighter, lighter handy. Yeah. <laughs> smoking is cool. Smoking is good. That is, that is your first film useful. gun coming yeah. into use. Yeah. <laughs> And then she's like, they're coming, they're coming, Newt. They're on their way. And they are, because yeah. the, the alarm goes off and, and Hicks is, like, straight into action. It's like, Shit fire the glass mid- so he can oh, dive through. Dive through. 
I know. Yeah, the facehugger does get Ripley a little bit, and there's a whole like. There's a whole. He's got. It's got like its tail around her throat, it's throttling her. And 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 Sigourney Weaver gives us real good being throttled because it's like I feel that. I yeah, can feel that. Absolutely. And then Newt is also totally holding her own because you see her, she's like watching on Ripley with horror. And then we see like that like little like spidery leg come up behind her and she responds like, she responds like a like, pro because yeah. like someone who's been dealing with aliens by herself for the last couple of months maybe yeah. <laughs> and she like it's on this kind of like comes trolley, up over a trolley yeah, and she, she pushes the trolley yeah. and like slams it against the wall which gives H- Hudson when he comes in the chance to kid watch out yeah <laughs> which is great but it's just like I'm sorry when I was seven I would fully have submitted myself to death <laughs> <laughs> it's really but that's the scene I liked because She's Wait, like, ages ago yeah she's so fixed on her feet she does that and she's like Hudson and he's like Whoa, okay cool yeah I can do that I can yeah. do this bit and she's he resourceful yeah and it's um, it's all great and uh, they they eventually get this thing off of Ripley and they, they this bit always it. kind of like really upsets me because it seems so strong yeah that actually the throwing of it I'm always a bit like are you going to be able to throw that is it going to be like yeah. fighting against you it feels very like the physics of it feel quite Intense and uh, yeah, but they managed to throw it away and get and shoot it and um, and then we have the reckoning of Burke. The reckoning of Burke. Yeah, and then again he's clutching at gaslight. He really is. Like, and he calls Ripley pathetic for like making you up the story. You're pathetic. It's pathetic. It's, it's, and I just think like like there's something about people like him calling people like Ripley pathetic when they're just saying what happened. So triggering. It's very triggering for if if you're a person who finds it triggering, you're justified. Yeah. And it's really just a shoot script writing that that would make him so extra un- you already hate him yeah and the fact when he calls her pathetic it's such a i have quite a visceral reaction to that oh babe i'm right there with you it's and it's that's why it's so good that's why it's so clever because it's it's a combination of the writing and also the way that paul riser decides to play it which is that really like kind of like very he's not freaking out he's yeah, not pulling like a he still he's thinks like, he might be yeah, onto a winner here yeah he's playing his strategy which is to gaslight mm-hmm um, uh, and because yeah. and Ripley has told him at this point it's like if you try and sneak these things in I'm gonna grass you up yeah so she's like well that's what was happening it was like Newton and I would have been in stasis we'd have been in a coma because we'd have had these things inside us and Hicks is like well we would have known and she's like well he was gonna kill all of you yeah you wouldn't yeah you were not gonna make it <laughs> home guys yeah. Uh, and then, it, then there's this great like Hicks, Hudson, and Vasquez are all like, "Oh, this guy's fucking dust!" Like they're just like, "Great, it's a really fun yeah. scene." Because Hudson's then he- starting to like calm down now. Hudson's starting to like, yeah, he's starting to get a little bit more. He's come down from a twelve. He's maybe more. At, like, he's a back seven at an now. eleven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's... yeah, that's fair. That's more fair. Yeah, he's definitely not quite at seven yet. He's still he's, not having a nice time. Still not having a nice time. Or maybe he's at a nine. Yeah. <laughs> he's back in the game. He's up there. He's definitely he's, back in the he's game. He's functional. Yeah. <laughs> I think from here on out, it is kind of a journey towards getting Ripley and Newt on their own, for the most part. Hicks, mm. Hicks is on the journey too. I think this is where Hicks is. This is where Hicks gets the acid in the face. Yeah, I think that's when they're in the lift. Yeah, that's where. This is where it happens. So they're in that wee room, and the xenomorphs are kind of on them. And at that point, it's just like Ripley, Newt. Hicks, Vasquez, Hudson, mm-hmm. and then somebody gets Hudson from below. I think it's a... Hudson gets got. Yeah, Hudson and it's gets like got. it's like where are they? And it's like oh, but they're in the room that can't be, and that's like oh, they're in the vents. Yeah, 
somebody gets heads and blow it, then they go into the vents. We lose Vasquez with Gorman. With Gorman, who yeah. has his redemption. Yeah. Which is a but it's just a cool bit. Like she's been doing her leg presses because she's coming through the vent. Newt's like fired on ahead, so Ripley's like fired on trying to catch up with her. Yeah. Hicks is kind of like on Ripley's tail. Yeah. And Vasquez is bringing up the tail, and then she's shot the xenomorph that is chasing them. Mm-hmm. But then she looks up and there's a vent above her and there's a vent xenomorph yeah, coming, coming down. down. So she shoots that. It comes down. She pins it against the wall with her foot and shoots it. And that gets her leg. So she's like done. So yeah. she can't. It's like she's not going anywhere. But Gorman goes. Gorman's appeared from somewhere. I can't remember how. He's come round. I, I think in the in the middle of the the Berksacunt reveal, he has come round. He's kind of figured out. He's been, the he's good been guys in are. the background, and he's definitely team team good guy. He's yeah. just he's just he's just, not, he's just he's just not experienced. Yeah, he's just he's out of doing, action. Yeah, yeah. but and he goes back for Vasquez, uh-huh. and they have that very sweet. It's a great so scene. cute. It's just so sweet where he's like holding her and. They realise that they're both absolutely done, so he brings out the grenade and she says, you always wear an asshole, Gorman. But he also does this thing where he finds it and he shows it to her, so it's mm. like a consent thing. It's like, yeah. what do you think? And, and she they, grab, his, yeah. they grab each other's hands and it's like... It's a great scene. It's a scene it's that so if, you, if you were a peripheral character in a movie like that and you got handed the script and you got that to do, you'd be like, yes! And they both act like, the crap act, out of they it. They act the crap out of it, yeah. yeah. It's a really great bit. And there's no hesitation between either of them either. It's, it's like, like, this is the option. Yeah, and it's a great redemption arc for, for Gorman, the, the guy who suffered throughout this entire narrative from lack of experience just make that and, sacrifice. And probably decision. trusting the company orders as well, and he's at this point realised that they're bullshit. Yeah, it's a, it's a big moment. Um, I, will, I will say shout out to Hudson at this point, because Hudson does get a little bit of an untimely... It's the same as Drake for me, the Hudson, because Hudson kind of bites it very early on when they move into the ventilation system yeah. and I feel like he kind of gets it it's yeah. unceremonious and it's a little shit it's in there with Drake and that kind of like yeah. I'm kind of sad that that happened for you but he made it he made it long enough we're getting down to we're just getting down to core because once that happens and once Vasquez and Gorman are gone it's just it's Ripley Hicks, Ripley and you yeah, yeah. Ripley Hicks and you and it's just mum dad daughter yeah aunties uncles and cousins have all been yeah they're all away they've gone it's, immediate family it's a Christmas only. day now <laughs> It's like it's like ten o'clock at night at Christmas Day. Everyone's gone. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a weird analogy. Uh, yeah, and she slides down into water, know, the swimming pool. I don't know what that is. Lots of water. Yeah, she's into she's into the lower decks of the Titanic. She's in the lower decks of the Titanic, <laughs> and that's the kind of thing. And there's that kind of theme where like Ripley's number one priority is making Newt's okay, and then Hicks's like well I need to make sure you're okay yes this is this is the point because he kind of goes we need to go is there not an initial rendezvous with Bishop because she, doesn't she put him on the ship and goes I have to go back for Newt I feel like that's what happens because Hicks Hicks does it, get blinded at this point yeah, and she so puts Hi- him on the ship so the alien I think surprises them in the lift mm-hmm. and they sh- they shoot it but like sprays him with acid or something mm-hmm. And they get back to the ship. She puts them on and is basically like, I need to go back for her, but come and pick us up. Yeah, she has a conversation with Bishop as well. She's like, I have got... And he's like, Be, like you've but not we got ha- time. But we have to leave in yeah. like 16 minutes yeah. or something. And there's a very straightforward conversation where Bishop's like, okay. He's like, fine. Yeah. Like he doesn't argue with her, which I also think is really interesting because it's like, 
he just he tells her the facts, but he's yeah. like, "All right, you need to do this. I'll yeah. come back and get you." And I think it's an interesting one from like the Asimov principle thing because would his priority be to take some risk to maximize the number of humans he can save, or would it be to save the human he can definitely save, which would be Hicks? Yeah, and we don't actually know that till right at the very end. Yeah, because they do play with that. Yeah, yeah, um, and because he obviously is just like because. From a digital point of view, you'd be like, well, really, you should just get on the ship and we should just fuck off. Yeah, and it's an interesting moment to play with it because actually we've not seen Bishop in a while. The last time yeah. we saw Bishop was when he got sealed into the Yeah, and there's they've, and they've left some ambiguity in there as well because when he's studying the facehuggers, he calls them magnificent. Yeah. So there, it, there's a callback to Ash and that admiration for, like, well, this is just an unbelievable organism. Yeah. So you're... Do you know who's an unbelievable organism? Hex. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, not to undermine your very intelligent and articulate <laughs> point, but yeah. I'm going to no make it about dick again. Um, <laughs> that is all interesting and relevant because she has to put her trust in Bishop in this moment. Yeah. Which is difficult. Difficult for her, but she doesn't really have much of a choice. To. And then I believe there is a director's cut scene where she and Hicks exchange first names. They do, yeah. Which is not in the the theatrical cut. Well, you know what? Cinema Gores, you were fucking robbed. I know. I really (laughs) want to watch the director's cut now. Um, Well, maybe we'll do that. Maybe when we're finished, we're going to have some pizza and watch the director's cut. I think we should. Even just the deleted scenes. So she goes back looking for Newt. We're coming up on the big iconic bits. Final. You know, James Cameron is borrowing again from the original one by going, right, we're, we're using that tension like you have X amount of minutes everything's blowing yeah. up things are going wrong yeah there's an irreversible disaster about to happen yeah. you either have to like go and it's it's not a cat if you're a cat person you got the Jones thing if you're not you don't but you can't really argue with a child yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah we've upped the stakes yeah <laughs> it's, the a stakes human now. it's a human <laughs> um also yeah the it's not a self-destruct thing it's the the reactor it's that provides blow. the colony its energy is going to blow up that's yeah. basically what's happening so so she goes away looking and she's tracking using the fitbit the fitbit <laughs> and <laughs> which she then finds so she finds it on the on the ground mm. but she's quite near the the old nest at that point yeah she finds new gets her for the sake of speed yeah and then she comes upon the alien queen oh, the alien queen who's man. just attached this big giant sack churning out eggs yeah she's a she's she's a magnificent beast she in, is in my head she's played by julianne moore um, okay <laughs> Or Glenn Close. Or Glenn Close. Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> she's played by an actress with serious gravitas. She's she's not won nearly as many Oscars as she's as she, she should. Yeah, that she should have, has been nominated for. Yeah, <laughs> she's been nominated for at least nineteen. Has won two. Yeah, she's the Meryl Streep of sci-fi characters. She she's, is. Move over, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, she's a, she's a big deal. She's a big fucking deal. This I bitch. Like, not move over, Jar. Just cut that. Don't compare the Alien Queen to Jar Jar Binks. I'm really sorry. Move over... Chewbacca? Jabba the Hutt? No. Who is comparable to the Alien Queen? There, No one. No one. Literally no one. I think you should keep all of this. I think this is hilarious. <laughs> no I'm one really embarrassed that I compared it to George Jar Binks. I don't believe that at all. That's the Shampers talking. <laughs> it's fine. Context is useful. Uh, she is a badass 
She's me. the opposite of Jar Jar Binks. She's completely the opposite of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Although that is funny. If we could do a version where it just pans very slowly to the alien queen and it's Jar Jar Binks, that would be incredible. You were so scared. <laughs> <laughs> and then we could cut to that scene where, where, where Sigourney Weaver gives that look. Like, <laughs> completely, the meaning of it is completely changed. Uh, yeah, Queen Jar Jar is uh, silent. Thankfully, <laughs> she has no dialogue. She hisses a lot because you would if you were given birth. Um, <laughs> I imagine. She, we imagine. We, we imagine. We assume. Uh, we assume that giving birth is exactly like this scene depicts it. <laughs> she's just. She's kind of. She's big and gross. She's a lot spinier than the rest of them. Mm. She's got um, a share at the Oscars type headdress on. <laughs> she's just share the Oscars <laughs> too, I just said. She's very shiny. Yeah. And uh, uh, she is laying eggs. Yeah. And it's... It's pretty gross. It's gross. The miracle of birth is gross, no matter what species you are. And it yeah. includes xenomorphs in this. And humans. So Ripley arrives mm-hmm. in the, the, the queen's nest. She's got Newt with her. She's got her flamethrower. She's looking incredible, even though she's all sweaty and dirty. She looks amazing. Mm-hmm. With that short, curly haircut and that fucking... She looks great. Yeah. She's serving me nearly gonna die fighting alien queen realness. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic mama bear tired as fuck realness. Sweaty but glistening. I love it. And the queen and Ripley, they have a moment. They have a moment where it's like, moment. you're trying to get your baby. I have my babies. Let's just leave each other's babies alone moment. Mm-hmm. There's a matriarch moment. There's an understanding. Mm-hmm. But then as they're backing out, one of the little eggs starts to open. And... Ripley does her little head tilt. She does the little head tilt. The head tilt says so much. Alien queen. Bitch. Come on. (laughs) Girl. (laughs) Come on. I I thought we had an understanding. Do we need to do this? So she sets fire to all of the babies. She burns them all. (laughs) At which point, alien queen gets very angry. Oh, she gets real pissy. And I, you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. Everybody's, it's like, this isn't a situation where we're necessarily going to come to any sort of concord. I'm going to, I'm going to give alien queenie a little bit of slack because I feel like this happens, Ripley kind of She doesn't know Ripley's life. She doesn't, they don't know each other's lives. (laughs) Exactly. Well, actually, Ripley has a little bit of previous with, but, you know, anyway, they, you know, they have this moment and then there's a xenomorph like drone comes in and is like, you all right, mum? And mum is oh, like... Oh, yeah, she's like... No, 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 no. Yeah. It's fine. Me and this bitch have an understanding. And, and he backs off. That's right. And then the egg opens. That's and right. I'm sort of a bit like... I'm going to give Queenie the benefit of the doubt because I'm going to be like, the eggs just do that. That's just what they do. Is it just they're set up to... Yeah, and, and it's just like, this was, a, this was a misunderstanding that's ended in fire. Yeah, do you think it's like the egg open and she's like, ah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like kids crying in restaurants, you know? Yeah, you're just like, like, ah, I'm really sorry. You know, like or, that, the, or the yeah, toddler having a tantrum at a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> It's that he's 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 troubled. I don't know. Like he's, he's just kind of. I I love him. He's my son, but he's kind of the worst. You know, the terrible twos. Like he's like that. Yeah. yeah. Do me a solid, Ripley. Don't set him on fire. Oh, you did. Okay, great. So here we are. <laughs> this is the daycare fight. Yeah. These are two mums that are not meeting. They're both having to just do what they have to do. Exactly. So Tarquin's on fire. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Somebody has sent a really strongly worded email to the head of the daycare. Yeah. 
um, in the form of everyone else being on fire. <laughs> and uh, Ripley's, yeah, uh, back in the fuck out. Uh, Queenie has a moment. She's like, she's really raging. She, she tears her like birthing sack off of her body. Yeah. Which again, you know, if your baby's on fire, I can understand. And um, yeah, I don't think that we are seeing the alien queen as evil at this point. She is just she's been she's, giving birth all damn day, like well, all, for as far as we can tell, several months. Or her entire she's been in labor, actually. And someone comes in, fucks up all of her work and her she's children. Like, she could even be like, "Hang on, hang on, have we met?" Like, yeah, it's like you're new, really, like you. Yeah, I've seen you bipedal, yeah, like, fleshy people I feel before. Like in this, on LV four two six, is Ripley in fact the problematic mother that comes and who invites up everyone's shit? Like who invited this bitch? Yeah. So anyway, moving everybody on has this. their own. Everyone's stuff got their own going stuff going on. on. No judgment. It's a film about mothers. This is like there's no judgment on this podcast whatsoever. Every mother is different. Everyone's Unless you're got their Burke, own shit going on. Don't you. set fire to Tarquin. Look, <laughs> let's all just try and get along. <laughs> Don't set fire. Yeah, Ripley sets fire to Tarquin, leaves. <laughs> Queenie has a moment. She's like, oh, no, no, bitch. No, no, no. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. So yeah. then we get back to the ship. And we have this great scene. We're back on the lift again. Ripley gets in the lift, goes up in the lift. And then Queenie is like, I don't have to work a lift. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's another lift. <laughs> like, I live here. I'm smart. This Nobody is- in the audience quite understands exactly what our capabilities are so we can kind of do anything with this yeah exactly also I live here this is my lift I know exactly where you're going I know the lift works stupid cow like like that's the dynamic that's happening here Uh, so Queenie gets in the lift Ripley is on the platform where she expects Bishop to be Bishop is not there Mm -hmm. so she is like I put my faith in you you have proved me right on my my feelings around androids but actually not so much yeah, we do get this moment where she's standing on the platform. There's flames everywhere. There's wind machines. It's fantastic. Lift comes up, doors open. Queenie's inside, like just barely. Like she's just managed to fit her her big queen ass in this lift. Yeah. And then we get the like close your eyes, baby moment with with Ripley and Newt, which is really sweet actually. Yeah. And then the ship emerges because Bishop hasn't left. That's them. right. Yeah. He hasn't left them because it was just, just the ground became too unstable. Or yeah, something. he's been circling because he's like, thing, I don't know if you've noticed, but things it's gonna blow up. Things here. are blowing up. So yeah. and it's not like it's just like it's a blowing up in stages actually. It's not just like everything's fine and then it blows up. It's like no, it's like bits have started blowing up. Bits have started blowing up. So I just had to circle round. Yeah. Double parked. <laughs> Come back round. So he comes back round after being double parked, and then they get on the ship, and that's great. Seems fine. Seems fine. <laughs> but it always does, yeah. as we've figured out in this universe. You just don't simply get in a ship in this universe. Yeah. <laughs> One does not simply get in a ship. <laughs> you must perform some checks. Please, this time. Just do a cursory look around. Also, the fact that Queenie hitches a ride is just beyond ridiculous to me. Because she's so big. Yeah. She's so big. She's bulky. She's bulky. She doesn't seem to be particularly, like, subtle. No. (laughs) This bitch is not subtle. I think she's hanging on. Is she hanging on to the outside of the ship? I feel like that's how she did yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like she grabs on to the end of the ship. Yeah. Somehow they're gets going, in. They're only going from the planet up to the main ship. 
Yeah, we only have the information really that Ripley has. Yeah. So it's like, if they can do something we didn't know they can do, it's just like, <laughs> oh, I guess they can do that. I guess, yeah. Also, again, it's been 57 years. They've probably figured out how to do lots of things. Yeah, it's like, I guess they don't need oxygen. Uh, I guess they can fit into really small places. Yeah, they fine. know how to use the coffee machine. Yeah. Like, it's fine. They figured okay. it all out. They're, maybe they're cleverer <laughs> than we thought. So we get up onto the ship. Everything seems fine. Hicks is okay. He's alive, but he's blind. We've got a new... Bishop and Ripley have a, a newfound and deep respect for one another. Yeah. I see a friendship forming. He's mm. going to be at her wedding. It's all of that. Yeah. Her wedding to Hicks, by the way. Obviously. With um, me as a flower girl. Oh, gosh. And then... Oh, oh, God. So we get onto the ship. Everything's like... Ripley and, and, and Bishop have their little moment where it's like, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then a big old spiny alien tail just fires straight through Bishop's sternum and it all gets really horrible. Yeah. They really milk this moment. Mm-hmm. And I use that word deliberately because milk is flying everywhere. Yeah. They really destroy Bishop. Yeah, he gets ripped in half. Yeah, it's awful. It's yeah. so awful. And I think they really go to town with it because it's not blood. Like, because they can get away with it being quite gory. Yeah, because they know that seven-year-olds are going to watch this film. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> Swathes of seven-year-olds. Yeah. If you haven't seen it when you're seven, you probably won't see it. Yeah, yeah that was your moment. <laughs> yeah, so they really milk this. Like, they stab him and he goes he has a moment where his his milky robot blood is coming out of his mouth and he's flailing and yeah and it goes on for a bit and then yeah. it and then the xenomorph just comes out of the ship and tears him in half yeah throws parts of his body yeah aside and then she there she is she's like bitch i'm not done with you mm-hmm. this is us at the most iconic moment in the entire franchise away from her you bitch this is the payoff from yeah. the setup earlier with the crab the loader, suit, thingy. loader thing yeah because she gets newt to run off she goes and gets in the loader she comes through it's great she delivers the line and queenie and ripley go at it for a bit mm-hmm. and then uh, basically at this point the thing that sticks out in my mind the most is that ripley must be real strong for someone who was in hypersleep for 57 years mm-hmm. Because what she does in this next moment where she basically... She and the the alien fall into an airlock. And she's wearing that thing. She's wearing that yeah. big alien suit. She manages to crawl out of it, hook her arm round yeah. the rung of a ladder that, that's built into the side of the ship, bang open the airlock, and then hold the fuck on. When the alien queen can't hold on to anything. Well, the, I think the like alien she tries. Well, she tries. Like, yeah. she's holding on to Ripley. It, I feel like my arm would have been torn right out of its socket and I'd have been straight out into, yeah. the, into the, the vacuum of space with the alien. But she holds the fuck on. It looks so painful. It mm. looks so awful. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But eventually, yeah. eventually the alien does let go. Queenie lets go. But Ripley still has to kind of climb up. Yeah. And then close it. In a it, vacuum. In a vacuum. And then close it and then pulls herself up over the side. Whilst, meanwhile, Newt is sort of half getting sucked into it as is one half of Bishop. Yeah, so he, like, grabs onto, like, the great flooring and also grabs onto and Newt. grabs onto Newt. Yeah. And then everyone's sort of fine. Well, they're not fine. They're all deeply traumatised and it's all awful. Yeah. But they survive. They do. And Bishop has a wonderful line, which is not bad for a human. Yeah. I love that line. That is really good. And and, and Newt calls Ripley mommy, which I, I've still not really decided if I like or not. I think I like it. I can't. I, I can never decide. I'm wondering if that's a director's cut thing. Oh, maybe it is. I don't remember that. 
she right at the very end when she you know once the airlock is closed and the alien has been blown out of it like there's a hug between you and Ripley and and, and you calls her mum Either I didn't notice it or it's not in the theatrical version. I can imagine that if they didn't include Ripley being a mother in the theatrical version, they wouldn't have included that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it feels like it's hammering home a point that we've all understood. We didn't need it. We yeah, didn't it's need it It's very laboured. It's like, we don't yeah. need her to call her mum. We get it. Newt hasn't been without her mum that long that enough to long. have forgotten her, about yeah. her. Yeah. It's weird. It's kind of weird because it's like yeah. the dynamic has been established. Ripley is a replacement. She's a mother mom. figure, absolutely. But we don't, it we don't mean need the mummy. Newt thinks yeah. she's her mum. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then we get pretty much the same ending as we get in Alien, which is everybody's tucked up in hypersleep. Yeah. And Newt and uh, Ripley have the same exchange as they had in the. Our mirror of that exchange, that mother daughter, like, tuck you into sleep. Can I dream? And, I, and she says, I think we both can. Yeah. And everyone looks safe and Bishop, Hicks, Newt and Ripley are in hypersleep and, and, and that is where we leave them. Mm-hmm. And I'm only saying that with a hint of real aggravation and anger in my tone because mm-hmm. I've seen Alien 3. I haven't actually seen it all the way through and I don't care to watch it because I know what's going to happen and I don't accept it. I don't even think we should cover it in the podcast because I think I'll be too mad. <laughs> Alien happens, then aliens happen. And then Ripley, Hicks and Newt all go and live in the mountains and just they make enjoy it back. some peace. They make it back to Earth. They go through, they get the therapy they need. They get mm. PTSD treatment. They have group therapy together. There is a wedding in which Bishop is in attendance. The celebrant. He's the celebrant! He is the celebrant! And he's got some nice new legs. And he's got his formal legs on to be celebrant. Mm-hmm. And Newt's a flower girl. And they get married. They punch out a few more kids. And Bishop is like friend of the family, like best friend. Yeah. And he's around a lot. He's and Uncle Bishop. He's Uncle Bishop. And, and they die happily in the mountains. Yeah. And Hicks gets like a really big kick out of being like protective dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But actually like would never do anything because he's not toxic. And the three of them maybe are also like really they're consultants in creating a better world and a and a more accessible world. And mm-hmm. they challenge Wayland Yutani on their shitty behaviours. Mm-hmm. And um they work with Bishop a little bit in creating a better AI and, and, and they work on and they work on uh, human rights for AI for synthetic humans. Yeah. And it's all very lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And that's how it ends. <laughs> that's how it ends. And that's us, right. isn't it? That's us. We did it. We did it. This is Louise Oliver. And Jackie Farmer. Of the good ship she's podcasting. <laughs> Signing off. Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> that was I'll Have What She's Podcasting. Thanks to Chris Gorman for the edit and the sound design. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's Podcasting. If you liked this, you might also enjoy our sister podcast, Persistent and Nasty, which is all about amplifying marginalised voices in film and theatre. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>